When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape special. This one is another one of the Geekscape Origins episodes, and I've been hinting at it for the last couple weeks about doing an episode that took you back to the origins of Geekscape, this time being the college radio years. If you've been listening to Geekscape for a while now, it's no surprise. If this is your first Geekscape, it's a really weird Geekscape. You should probably go back on the feed and find like an interview with a celebrity, or a writer, or a director, or maybe an actor. Um, we have plenty of those on the feed going back, what, 11 plus years? Uh, but this special is in the series of Geekscape Origins, which for is really for the long-standing Geekscapists to find out like how I got into podcasting and how this all started. Um, and I've been hinting at this one for a while, and it involves college radio and my time in college radio. Uh, la- about two months ago, I sat down with uh, Adnan and Daryl, the two guys that I ran a comic store with in high school. And upon completion of high school, I went to undergrad, and I had one singular focus in undergrad. I'm not including girls as a singular focus because, A, uh, I didn't have a chance, and B, there were many of them, and there's nothing singular about that focus at all. It was, it was actually a giant blur um, of rejection. Um, my singular focus was to get into college radio and major in communications and follow in the footsteps of like David Letterman and that's how I showed up my first day at the University of Pennsylvania in September of 1997 imagine fresh-faced Jonathan oh wow this is great his dad and he driving all the way from Austin Texas through Arkansas Tennessee Virginia up through Baltimore right to Philadelphia Dropping them off, and I remember the day. The day my, I remember around the time my dad dropped me off. It might have been in September. It might have been two months prior when I did a bit of a, like a pre pre pen introductory, like three weeks staying on the campus to kind of get my feet wet. And Prince Diana died. I remember my dad pulling me up to college. And he came for the morning to say me say goodbye before he made the, his way back to Austin. And the big news is that Princess Diana had died. So that gives you kind of like a larger world context to what was going on in the world. Uh, some of you geeks gave us may not have even been born. <gasps> oh my God. But there's Johnny, fresh-faced, 
standing outside of the quad, which was the popular dorm there for freshmen in uh, the University of Pennsylvania, and I was like, I just want classes to start so I can figure out how to get into college radio here at Penn and get it moving. And Johnny did not know (laughs) that there really was no college radio at Penn because back in the early 70s, or early 80s, Penn's radio station was a station called WXPN, and it ran uh, on a fairly like strong um, radio broadcast. And one of the problems is that the students ran it, and one of the students had abused, uh, had used his show to do like some sex acts or some crazy shit with vegetables or something. And this is the early 80s, and uh, it had violated the license agreements with the FCC, and Penn actually was threatened with losing their radio license. And so WXPN, uh, the only way to save it was that it got picked up by the local radio station, WXPN. So WXPN 88.5 Philadelphia, which is a major broadcast that reaches uh, almost to Baltimore. I mean, it reaches like into Maryland, New Jersey, a ton of Pennsylvania, and uh, is a really respected public radio station. That's not, that's no longer Penn's, college radio station it was still at the time broadcasting out of a out of a building at Penn but the Penn students who wanted to do radio had been relegated to like an like this thing called WQHS which was it was like the it was it was like an inter-college cable network that had audio so if you were in the dorms and you went to like channel one or zero or something you would get a bunch of like the visuals would be like advertisements for like school things like what was for lunch that week <laughs> or like if if there was like a football game you'd get these horrible 1997 era computer graphics advertising pen events uh, and over that you would hear the audio of WQHS which was the student run radio station it was good enough for me <laughs> and sitting here with me to tell the tale is Kevin McCaffrey, who was my co-host for four years of college radio. And we had all these adventures together in undergrad. We, uh, I don't even know where to start, Kevin. I'm kind of starting at the beginning, but he's in from Manila in the Philippines. And you've had many adventures since college. You were in the Army. You were in the Special Forces. You did some... Fighting terrorists, you did some, some, you did crazy shit, and then you went to the uh, the, the the Pacific Rim, the South South Pacific, and you you, you kept being a, a fucking GI Joe there and doing some awesome kick ass stuff, and you got some crazy stories about the wars and this and that, and it's amazing. But but right now, this is Geekscape Origins. We're gonna be talking about our origins in college radio and how when I, when those years were over, those four years with you, those four magical years of bullshit college radio, <laughs> I missed it. I got into podcasting, and I haven't looked back. Here we are, 12 years after starting podcasting. Boom. There it is. Yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> welcome to uh, the Geekscape uh, family that's tuning in. Uh, as John introduced me so aptly, I was his co-host for four years, so I'm pulling out all those radio stops right now. Uh, gosh, almost 15 years later. More than that. No, it's more than that. 17 years later. 
to, uh, to entertain and uh, cause a state of wonderment and enlightenment for your audience. We've got to put these down. And here's the thing. Uh, Kevin is in Southern California visiting his father before moving on to Phoenix to visit his mom. And you still have a lot of the recordings in Phoenix? So I have all of them. So we. So okay. This is this is a this has been a lifelong goal and dream of mine. Okay. Since we graduated, okay. is to take all those tapes of which there are many, and this we're talking right now, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking cassette tapes. Yeah. We're okay. Actually, yeah. So, so as John mentioned, WKHS was a fairly. I'm not loving what your uh, mic's doing, but okay. Well, I, let, just, adjust it then. You're overmodulating. I know. Well, I, it's been a while. Yeah, there it's been you a go. While. So, uh, as, as John mentioned, <laughs> the audience is like, that made no difference. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, keep uh, going. As John mentioned, WKHS had a plethora of problems. One of which was technology. Uh-huh. <laughs> but back then, CDs were just coming onto the scene, or maybe they were the newest and greatest and thing. You sure as hell weren't recording to a hard drive. Yes, but cassette tapes were reliable. So we would take every <laughs> single show yeah. uh, for nobody except for ourselves, because yeah. nobody else would listen to it. We tried to show our friends that yeah. they, would, they would politely listen and then kind of go on their Fall merry off. way. But I have every one of those. And there's maybe like 40 or 50 tapes. Wow. And the problem is, what really frustrated me is about five years back, I went through them all to try and get at least a, a kind of schedule, an Excel file of which episode was oh, taped on which date. Oh, you went through like catalog. Yes. There's no dates. We, we, we're, <laughs> we're, we, the only way you can follow our narrative is through the storytelling. So if you figure out what part of the story it was in and then yeah. what season it was in, you can kind of get and, and I, I think a I, narrative I, I think we could do a pretty good job yes, of that. Yeah. But clearly it would be easier if those things were digitized first, which... Yeah, yes. Which, they, which please, I think, God. Could you imagine? I just go to, like, I use Westwood One to just digitize all these old tapes. <laughs> so, um, I, bet, I mean, they would clearly all fit on, like, a modern-day hard drive. And Easily. Super easy. But, Easily. But, um, wow, there's a lot of tapes. I thought that you had only kept the CDs made from those tapes, which were, oh, our, no, quote, those were our, quote, unquote, best of. Sir, I have the originals. I have every oh, single thing ever recorded. Now, there is one big, there's a couple tapes that really frustrate me because we were broke, yeah. And we still are broke, but we were more broke back then, yeah. and we could not afford new cassette tapes as often so as we'd we like, so we re-recorded yeah. over certain earlier episodes. Right. But all the, the good ones are there. So you might want to use this time to explain to your listeners what exactly our radio show was about, because well, I don't think they... I'm going to go back. I don't think they get it. So, uh, God. Okay, so... I, let's talk about how we met because I think that was prior to the radio station. That's a good story. Uh, we're in the quad, and the quad's like got multiple parts. It's like even though it says quad, the quad is shaped more like uh, a pure, like a triangle, or so. You know, you were in the square version of it. I was in the triangle version. Yes. Of it. We were in two separate parts of the dorm. You know, it's featured in Transformers. It is in Transformers yeah. Two. Yes, it's the dorm that Shia is yes. in, in Transformers Two. It's his dorm, and uh, so. Shia, Shia, whatever. Um, so I remember that there was, like, to get the freshmen to, like, meet each other, I remember that there was, like, a barbecue in the sub, in, in the square version of the dorm because it was this big open mm. area. And that's, that's the area that you lived in. And there was a big barbecue and there was a dance and this and that. And, like, uh, my friend Dan Corey, who I had met earlier... Um, and we bonded because we were both straight edge and into like punk music and stuff came up to me and said hey there's this guy and I was walking down the hallway and there's this guy you have to meet his door was open and in his room he has like Weezer stuff and Mr. T experience stuff and like all the lookout records stuff and he was like you gotta meet this guy and I was like 
All right, walk me over. And I remember walking over and walking into your dorm room. And he was like, hey, Kevin, this is the guy Kevin I was telling you about. And I remember walking into your dorm room and seeing that you had a bunch of stuff from like, it's not just Weezer stuff that you found in like a right like a tower record somewhere it was a, it was the stuff from their mailing list you had to be part of like Carl's Corner it was a club it was a club yeah. so you had to be part of like Weezer's club to get this stuff you were into the Mr. T experience you which I love you were into like all these bands and I was like whoa nobody knows that. like nobody I mean Weezer sure but yeah. like some of these like vague indie record label punk bands like I was like no way and I remember being so enthused that I had met somebody, and I was like, yeah, and I just started talking your ears off, and I, it's a habit that I continue with, and your response was, yeah. You were so mellow, and like, I just wanted to like win you over and be your best friend, and, 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 you, and you, you seemed so unenthused by me, and I was like, what do I have to do to be this guy's friend? I don't think anybody has ever called me mellow in my life. That's the first one. Oh, you could... I walked out of that dorm room being like, I think that guy may have been a big jerk or whatever, (laughs) because I was so keyed up about everything he was about, and he could have given a damn. And I saw you later, and that's when I was like, hey man, da-da-da-da, and we started talking, but... What was happening parallel to that was that the the school year was starting, and the upperclassmen who were in charge of that like the horrible non radio station WKHS, which hopefully has gotten better over the years. I'm not sure. Its website's better. I've its website's it. better. Yeah. Um, oh, there's a website. Yep. And so uh, I uh, I remember they held a meeting, a first of the year meeting, and I was like, I have to be there. I have to have a show. I have to start this train towards becoming a, a host. And all David this. Letterman. Yeah, sure. Yeah, David Letterman. Let's go. And I remember showing up to the meeting and, you know, they, they find out, like, who's interested in this and that. They tell you when, like, the training day will be and which, who's doing the training. And I remember just being so enthused and being like, hey, please give me a show. I want to play music. I want to interview people. Da, 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 da. And they were like, great. Uh and I went through the training, and it was basically one of the upperclassmen who could care less, showing us the different levels and, the, and, and how to get on the air, how to how to prep the next song off the air so you can switch over to it. And it was like, like just two CD players that you're switching back and forth yeah. between, and then how it's to not rocket it. science. Yeah, it's not rocket science. <laughs> and then ta- turning on the different mics and like you know how how we organized the the CD inventory and the record inventory yep. and if you needed to switch from a CD to an album if you wanted to move to like a record you could do that so really you could only really move between two CD players two microphones and two records that's right and that was about it yep and no wait they had an 8 track they had an 8 track for sound effects and ads yes and every now and then we it was an 8 oh yeah it was an 8 track yes this giant ass blocky table. So that is even before our time, but it, it puts a good perspective on the technology of yeah, Q, the, QHS. Yeah, QHS did not have those <laughs> up to date track <laughs> technology. Like eight like, track is like what truckers used to like drive around with, <laughs> yeah. listening to music. If you owned a Camaro in the seventies, you probably had an eight track. And yeah, the eight. Holy crap! The eight track was there, and people were like, "Hey, here are the extra eight <laughs> tracks of old ads that you could record your new promos on, yes. and you could do stuff." And we were like, "Great, we'll take it." And um, so after the training, I could sign up for my time slot, and they they gave me 10 a.m. on Sundays. Yeah. Like when nobody would be listening. Yeah. Like the entire school 
would be like passed out. I don't even over. get up at 10 a.m. on Sunday anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so I got I got 10 a.m. on Sunday, and they were like, "Are you cool?" Yeah, I'll take it. Like they didn't even finish the <laughs> sentence. Are you okay with 10 a.m. on Sunday? Before I was like, "Sounds good to me. I'm ready to hit the airwaves, the non-airwaves. I'm ready to hit the the, clo- the TV. I'm ready to hit the closed circuit cable network. Yeah. It's called ResNet." Resident, it, it, res- residential network. Yeah, it was called ResNet. <laughs> They're gonna broadcast over ResNet. Yeah. Failure, <laughs> and I took it, and yeah. I never looked back. I was like so excited, and I remember getting so prepped for that first show, <laughs> and I was gonna do the show basically by myself, and maybe with Dan. Yeah, it was you and Dan originally. It was yeah, it was Dan and I, and and Dan and I were just gonna play punk shows, like uh, punk bands, and talk, and you were standing in like the other room. And I knew that I first off it sucked. I remember walking in that first show and and just starting with a CD. I knew the song I wanted to like start with. I would start with a CD, and I never checked the levels of anything. Oh and whoever, man! Who, whoever had done the night before, <laughs> yeah, had completely fucked with me and turned everything up to the maximum. Oh man! And because upperclassmen got like the midnight slot. Yeah, yeah. 10 p.m. slot. It's they got the, like they the, took the night slot. The hip hop like, bong show. Yeah, forgot. <laughs> yeah, hip hop bong show. <laughs> I remember walking in and being so jazzed that I was going to play a song, and when the song was over, I'm going to introduce myself and do it. I hit play on that song, and you would have thought that I would have been tipped off by the coming out of the speakers because it was so loud when I turned everything on. I hit play on that thing and the I thought the building exploded. It was so loud. And everything was just shaking. And I was like, what did I do? Oh no. I mean because there's multiple volumes. There's a volume on the CD player, there's a volume on the output, there's multiple volumes and I didn't yeah. know which one was cranked yeah. out. There's a lot of dials. It looked like so that board was so big because it was the seven it was made in the seventies. Yeah, it was antiquated. It like the Starship Enterprise, like the control deck of the Starship <laughs> yeah. Enterprise. So even though it was so simple, you didn't really know until you got around with it. Like, okay, this actually is is not as complicated. And what as it is looks. what? And like somebody had taken like white, you know, draftsman tape yeah. and, and and marked like CD one, <laughs> CD two, mic one, mic yeah. two. But it was so faded and like mislabeled that like you didn't know what you were doing. You had yes. no idea what you were doing at any time. And I just remember uh, thinking that I had exploded the fucking building because the entire place went crazy. I finally managed to get the volumes down and uh, Dan and I did a fairly boring show. And I remember the entire week afterwards being like, first off, Dan, no offense, Dan, I love you. But uh, he, Dan Corey, uh, I love you, man. He, I think he lives in San Francisco, married a girl from Irvine last time I checked. I saw him a few years ago. It's good to catch up, but um, I don't think his heart was in it. Mm, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I think he liked the idea of going out Saturday nights, yeah. which meant not being there at 10 a.m. Sunday mornings. And I was like, I, that I'm... never clicked. But <laughs> yeah. now that you mention it, it makes total it sense. It makes total yeah, sense. I, 30, we, wait, what, 15, 16 years later, I just figured out why Dan didn't like Sunday mornings. <laughs> yeah. And, and you and I were like, we have no problems with this. We're playing Diablo. Yeah. Well, so, so I didn't drink either. Yeah. I had not through high school, yeah. obviously first year of college, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't party. I was very much a... World of Warcraft. It didn't exist then, so I was a Warcraft guy. I was a RPG. I remember you playing Diablo. And yes. Just being like, holy crap. Love played, Diablo. played all the Sierra games. Chess team, debate club. That was my thing. So yeah. Sunday morning to me was a natural time to wake up and have a good time. But now, looking back, 
Yeah. It t- I totally understand why I didn't want to wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would have I, I wouldn't be there. Nobody listened to the show. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody listened to that show, Kevin. And, uh, and so I found it to be pretty enthused. And my brother and I, Paul, we kept joking about this old American gladiator that we saw on like a kid show. Like one of the multiple American gladiator reiterations when American gladiator kept trying to come back in the 90s. Yeah. Was a kids show where they put kids through the challenges, yet also worked in an educational health like element to it. Ah, uh, yes, very nineties. And here's the thing: I tried to get people to come on my show for me to interview, but it was ten a.m. on fucking Sunday, and nobody wanted to come. And it doesn't broadcast to anything. But it didn't a broadcast. TV they were like, "Where can I listen kids? to yeah. it?" Uh, <laughs> you can't. Yeah. Maybe if you're you have the proper fillings in your. In your <laughs> And you're, and you're standing within 10 feet of the station yeah. with a bunch of like tinfoil in your mouth. <laughs> you can pick up the radio broadcast. They uh, buy a crystal uh, radio kit, try yeah. to tune that in. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and so I, I was whiffing on the interview front. And it was so important for me to interview people on the radio. I, I needed this piece of tape for when I graduated <laughs> for people to really Man, know. I didn't know you had such purpose oh, behind all of this. Hell, listen to me. I've been doing Geekscape for 12 years. <laughs> So I'm learning a lot just today. Like, I was like, I got to do this. So, and I couldn't find anybody to interview. So the way I solved it was like, I will do voices. I will pretend to interview those people. <laughs> and it will literally be me talking to myself. <laughs> and that was like, I just remember you and Dan coming into the studio that day. And I had made up this fictitious American, like, uh, like gladiator. American gladiator. Yeah. And being like, hey, everybody, whoa, we have an interview coming up with a local legend, West Philadelphia's own Razorblade, who is a local <laughs> legend. He was on American Gladiators for several years. He was the champion of the rollerball for three years straight. He's, he's opening up a local dojo here for the kids. <laughs> yeah. And he was just this amalgamation of this. This American Gladiator I'd seen on TV yelling at kids. <laughs> like, on TV, he was yelling at kids. And Paul and I would, would like play this tape over and over again of this American Gladiator basically hazing children. Yeah. He was like an insensitive Mr. T. <laughs> yeah, basically, this is the diatribe. And I repeated it almost verbatim on the radio. Was, hey kids, you wanna, let me tell you about smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Cigarettes have carbon monoxide in them. That's the same vile crap that comes out of the exhaust pipe of a car. Why don't you wrap your face around a car? Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he would just yell at them. <laughs> and so I'm sitting in the studio. I know I want to interview somebody. Dan won't stop laughing. Like, yeah. Remember how he would do that silent laugh? <laughs> he laughed like George. Yeah. He laughed like George McFly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And he had just gotten this, which in the in the 2000s was cool, a tongue piercing for men. Yeah, and yeah. so he had gotten this giant tongue nine, piercing. It was 1997, and he had gotten this That's tongue right. piercing. So he had he, he had that tongue. <laughs> and he, he couldn't talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if so he did. see this giant bar coming in and out of his mouth. <laughs> and, he would, and he wouldn't stop messing with it. It's like, you're not, he can't even chew. Like, don't chew gum on the air. And oh, he's, God. He's sitting uh. there flicking this metal dick yeah, in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> It's now so phallic, and who does that? I love the boy, but 
damn, what the hell? We'd never. I mean, it was the late nineties. So, and then, and then you weren't convinced you were going to come on the radio at all. You were like, I'm just going to come here and hang out. Cause it's so, oh, hold on, hold on, backtrack there. You guys gave me a little bit of the uh, cold shoulder. We did. So oh, I, no. so I was tagging around. You guys, you, and you said, yeah, you should come check out our radio show. I was interested. I liked radio. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed music. We had the same types of music. Mm-hmm. But then you and Dan said, but you can't get on the air because you haven't had the training. Oh. <laughs> So you use that, that cheesy one-day class that you went through as some sort of bar, bar to access. One day, 30, yes. 30 minutes. Yeah. So somehow, I thought it was I thought it was legitimate radio. So I'm like, well, okay, guys, oh, I guys. Sell. hang that, out in the back. Gee, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when you guys were laughing, I'd cover my mouth, try not to, oh. I'm trying, oh. To, be, I'm trying to be a professional. Yeah. But then what put me over the edge was you had a terrible problem <coughs> with technical know-how. Oh, God. Like, oh, God. <laughs> as, as evidenced by that first five yes. minutes. Whatever reason, like you could not, like we could, the levels, <coughs> you could not, the potentiality. You could never get the levels. And you, I think you, you, uh, you imagine yourself to be this sound engineer. Yes. And, yes. Uh, <laughs> and so... Um, I don't have anybody to interview, and I remember doing being like, I'm going to interview the local legend Razorblade, this fictitious creature, yeah. a fictitious character I made up. And I remember being like, Razorblade's here, and we start playing his intro music, and it's like big. Because yeah. Ameri- I remember finding an American Gladiator CD in, yeah. the, in the. I've never found that CD again in my life. <laughs> yeah, I have. I, dude, I've scoured eBay for it. You have it, right? I have a couple tracks that I ripped off of it. Okay, thank yeah. God. Yeah. Um, and I remember. Like being like, look who it is, and you have his theme music start kicking up, and I walk <laughs> dun, over, to, and I walk over to the door of the studio. I'm like, look who it is! It's Razorblade. How are you doing, Razorblade? And then I walk over to the door, and I open the door, and I slam it shut. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, woo! And he walks in, he starts wooing, yeah. and he's like, what's up, Johnny? How are you doing? Do a fake high five. <laughs> what What is then, amazing is that, and then he just started screaming on yes, the radio, yeah. and Dan's like loving it. So what, what is amazing and what I don't think your audience can truly understand is the transformation that you went through. And that as a third party looking at John doing this, you would literally think he was schizophrenic. Because he would at one moment be Jonathan and then his entire persona, not just his voice, his entire persona would change and a totally different person would come out. My mannerisms and everything. Yes, everything. And, and you would actually... For doing it for four years, yeah. for four freaking years, I saw you going through these changes. I truly believe these characters were real. They became real people to me. <laughs> I just remember after the show, just all I wanted to do was eat. It's a two-hour show. Mm-hmm. We did a two-hour show every week for yeah. four years. I just remember being completely effing exhausted <laughs> and just wanted to eat lunch and take a nap because I had screamed for four hours. Yeah, you'd lose like your voice. Hours. You'd actually lose I your voice. I would lose my voice. Yeah. But I'm doing these characters, and I'm switching between them. Sometimes yeah. we'd have three, four characters in the yeah. studio. And, and so the characters were like, Razorblade was definitely one. I had, I had one that was kind of an amalgamation of my whole Johnny and Speedy from the comic book store. I don't know if we mentioned Speedy on the, comic, on the podcast that we talked about the comic book store a few, back in December, but... Speedy was a Hell's Angel. He used to work at the comic store back when there were two comic stores. There was the one that Daryl and Anon and I worked at, and then there was one that was a coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, this guy named Speedy would come in and kind of like help clean up and kind of work around there. But he uh, was this Hell's Angel who was missing part of his skull from a fight. He was this older dude with a beard. And he would walk around and he would fart and be like, I think I heard me a barking spider, Hoss. You know, my name's Speedy, and I'm just from Texas, and I just ride around my Harley Davidson, and you fuck with me, you fuck with the whole Hell's Angels house. <laughs> and that's how we talk. And so we created my 
uncle character yeah. who was carcinogen Hank. That's right. Which I think really... Chain smoker. He well, carcinogen because he's a chain smoker yeah. and he would routinely cough up pieces of his lung. Yeah, he'd be like, oh, right, I gotta put that back. Saw in. myself an avioli. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a part of my drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, was, he would just cough. And I think a lot of it was when my voice started to go, yeah. it was easy to do Hank yeah. because he'd just be like this. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, so let me tell you something. Every character, the reset for every character was... was it was yeah. me saying, let me tell you something. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because Razor Blade would be like, let me tell you something, Johnny. And, and, and then Hank would be like, let me tell you. You know? And so we had that character. And you know, you, I, I've and actually you, heard that actors do this a lot when they do accents or different, uh-huh. um, like I say, a British guy is doing an American accent. Oh, yeah. They, they have set phrases that helps get them into the character. You oh, certainly I'm, had that. Oh, I'm classically trained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he, and, and, and he was a conspiracy theorist. He thought he yes. saw UFOs. Well, he, okay, so the background was that he was character. a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, was a so he was still afraid of the communists. <laughs> yeah. And so everything to him was the, part of the communist scare. Oh, and then he lost that. his mind because he had been exposed to Agent, Agent Orange. <laughs> and then so like, he integrated aliens into it. And the reason why we integrated aliens <laughs> is because you and I were taking an astronomy class oh, together. Yeah. And the astronomy class was so boring <laughs> that we'd sit in the back and joke about Hank crawling through the air pipes, the, the air duct. <laughs> And then because he was spying on them commas, teaching you about alien philosophies. <laughs> I forgot that. So, I so we had this weird world where we jumped into the radio world and we'd have like a completely fictitious uh, novella that we'd but they write. Were, but there were exaggerations of stuff that you and I were experiencing. But we'd experience every day. Like in class. Yes. yes. And at one time coming back from, from, from astronomy class. And keep in mind, astronomy, this astronomy class that we took was literally called... Uh, okay, so there were two basic science classes that we took because we had no interest in science. We took the geology class, which yes. was the most basic. <laughs> and, 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 they call, and then the nickname for that class was Rocks for Jocks. Yes. And then, do you remember the name for I the do. astrology I do. class? I do, I do. It's horrible. Yes. And I don't know if this was listed in like an official like school. It, well, it couldn't have been in the catalog. But everyone knew the astrology class. It stars for tard. Yes. <laughs> because I know. it was such an yeah. easy basic level science class, astronomy class, I still didn't do, I think I made a B in that class. I didn't do great. Actually, that class. was the only class I did well in. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did terrible. I liked it. You saw, we saw the rings of Saturn. I remember yeah, going to Yeah, that was amazing. And it's like, so this is crazy. Penn's been around for what, 200 years? Penn? It was yeah. founded before the, years. Before the nation. So they had one of the, the nation's very first observatories. Mm-hmm. And what happened, and at the time, 100 years ago, 1900s, it was one of the top line observatories in the world. And then the city grew around it, so the lights from the city blanked out the observatory. But they still have this amazing old telescope that looks like it's straight out of a Tesla experiment. Yeah, right? yeah. it's and, classic. And they take us there, and you can actually see the rings of Saturn. I, I remember doing that. I completely remember yeah. doing that. Now that you... Remind me. Um, so there was Hank, Carcinogen Hank, and then there was, we were sitting outside waiting for the shuttle to take us back to the dorms. Uh, it was raining, and we're sitting there, and we're sitting outside the bus. Maybe we were going to pick up comics on South Street, mm-hmm. which Kevin and I just did today, so they, not everything changes. And uh, that dude came by. We're sitting there waiting for the bus. And we see this homeless man, mm-hmm. and he's dressed, and he's like Rastaf- oh, yeah. he's Rastafarian, <laughs> and he's covered in like rags, giant rags, and he's like, "Hey guys, what's up?" Yeah. He just unprovoked said, "What's up?" to Kevin. Very friendly. Very he's friendly. Like, hey, what's up, guys? Yeah. 
And we started calling him Reggae Bum. Yeah. And so yeah. Reggae Bum became a character. We was like, hey, guys. Yep. It's more so, rumbly. This is, this is actually a funny story. I want to launch into Reggae Bum a little bit. So Reggae Bum was mildly offensive because we didn't have any good material for him other than he was homeless. So the, un, the so only joke that was funny he was eat, he, eat he couldn't eat anything. No, no. no he, he could eat anything. Yeah, he could because he didn't have any food. Right. So when you, when you would give him the change, he would eat the change, which now in retrospect looks it's stupid. So thanks for change, yeah. boys. I would take change out of my pocket or my keys yeah. where I was and he's like hey guys you got anything to eat I'm so hungry but what? <laughs> and, I would, and, I would, and I'd be like yeah here Reggie and I would jangle change into the microphone yeah. to be like here's some change here you go and he'd be like hey thanks <laughs> start eating it but what's funny is by junior year you started to grow a conscience and you're like, you know what, Kevin, this is, this is offensive. Like, we're making fun of people who are legitimately poor and they're sick. And, and, and it's, not even, if anybody's it's, listening. it's not even funny anymore. So let's, <laughs> let's kill off Reggae Bum. Well, before that, Reggae had a, a, a stomach that could eat anything. That's right. That's right. Because they're like superpowers, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It, well, with the comic books, we yeah. turned these characters into real characters. Yeah, we, <laughs> so Reggae Bum had eaten a meteorite that he said he was. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. He was out of the... <laughs> this is so fucking stupid. Well, well, you gotta. Wait, so, okay, hold on. He was, he, was out, he was out of the desert somewhere, <laughs> trying to trying to hitchhike on like Route sixty six. So to, he saw me here right at night. And he went, and it was a glowing rocket. <laughs> Jesus. So this is why, so we had a show every week, every week. So every week we had to come up with new material. So we, and during lunchtime was our time where we would plan the new Sunday show. But it wasn't like there was a script. There was a general outline of the plot. There was a general idea. And, and as we got better at Sorry, it, especially into sophomore, junior year, there was an actual storyline. So there was a pretty good, actually, if you, there's a pretty good narrative if so, you follow so it. So Reggae Bum would like eat tires and then he, could, yeah. he would eat anything and we'd have him on the air to like eat stuff and um and he would uh and but because he had this magical he had this this alien power from <laughs> yeah. the meteorite where he could eat anything right. and so the other character that was popular was basically my van damme impersonation that's right yeah and it was this it was basically a van damme actor but yeah. he was down on his luck yeah <laughs> um and he was like now doing like gay porn and stuff like that for money and, and, and but he was a straight guy who was, but he, was forced to do it but he was a kickboxing legend back yeah. in the day but he would have this great persona where he would always he would always present himself as still being famous but and you still know being he, a he, trained actor yeah he had fallen so far off the list of fame it was basically but, me coming in and be like hey guys how you doing I can't do the accent as much anymore but he'd come in and, and talk about how he was classically trained and Razorblade had given him a job as a guest instructor celebrity instructor at the right. dojo that's right <laughs> So Conveniently guy, located on 43rd and 2nd. Hey kids, come down to my dojo and hang out with me. I'll teach you karate so you can defend yourself against the drug dealers who are running our city rampant. So, and, 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 and Claude, Claude, who's the name of the character, Claude Baudouin, would come and like, <laughs> hit, I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I would have to switch between my voice, Claude's voice, Razor Blade voice, Claude's voice, yeah. Carzinus and Hank's voice. Yeah. And I'd lose my damn mind. That's right. Because Hank would be like, "Shut up, Frenchie." Yeah. And would be like, I kick you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> and then Razorblade's like, "Hold on, guys, this is get crazy." Touch, I, touch the eel skin. Yeah, and it would Razorblade after he lost his three years of being in the atmosphere. Atmosphere was the real name. Yes, of it. yeah, we called it the rollerball. Roller ball. He's like three yeah. years of rollerball champ. After I lost my way to hydro. 
I lost a diet. Oh, I had cheated. Yeah. Yeah. I went up to the mountains of Tibet. He basically sure. had the Dr. Strange with the Shazak Zin. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he goes the Shazak Zin month. So we started playing like this. Oh, yeah. music! It was well produced. Yeah, we put yeah we put music sound effects all of this. Yeah, and he's like, and we're like Razorblade. Tell us what happened. And like the interview, right? A serious interview with Razorblade. He's like, I went up to the mountains, the Shaka Zin monks. And they had me pull an eel from the ancient springs. <laughs> yeah. And the eels were electric, right? Yeah. And he goes, and from the eel, I made this eel skin, which is basically his wrestling tights. Yes. It's, it's, it's like chonies. It's like underwear. It's like a Speedo. It's a Speedo. Yeah. And he's like, touch it. It's electric. And so he, he had this, he had a <laughs> But he called, it, he called it his eel skin his pouch. Yeah, it's my eel skin, skin pouch. pouch. <laughs> like, what's in that pouch, Yo, Razor? What's in I that? can't unleash the power of my eel skin. <laughs> Maybe the ladies will like to see my eel skin. That's right. And so uh, he could he could deliver electric blasts yeah. from his groin. From his eel skin pouch. Yeah, and he used it to fight like the local drug lords. Yeah. Of which there was one. Yes. There was, there was one drug lord that you did the voice for. That's right. And the beginning of the song was always like across 110th Street. Yeah. You know yeah. the classic song, across 110th Street. Yeah. And that character... Was the local crime lord? He's that like, grease, grease unique, yeah. <laughs> and he'd come in and be like, "You idiots!" And he, yeah. he wanted to bulldoze the radio station yeah. so he could open up a crime lab. Yeah, but he weirdly spoke French because he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, ah, yeah, oui. he, oui. <laughs> he would answer in French with "we." Oui. Oui. <laughs> so uh, his plan was to destroy the radio station. That's right. He's, because we were broadcasting positivity broadcasting positivity yeah. and we're like we can't do this this is for the people and he'd be like ah <laughs> and then he wanted to destroy the dojo yeah, and recruit because, Razor's kids as his re- minions recruit Razor's kids which were basically like Mr. T's kids yes and they were like underprivileged uh, uneducated kids inner city kids that kids Razor with mental bladed, disabilities kids that Razor Blade had taken off the streets yes and we recently wanted to turn them into his drug delivery That's like right. like people. Ah, uh, yeah, we. <laughs> that was your plan. You so got, you're the, dastardly. The funny story about Grease Unique is uh, you had all these characters, and uh, I didn't have many or any really. Yeah. Yeah. I was always the I, I played. If you look at the foils, right? I played the straight foil. In that I would always be the, oh, really, Razor? Tell me more. No, my goodness. Oh, you don't do that. Yeah. So we had even the Kevin character wasn't really Kevin. It was yeah. a foil to the rest of your characters. But I, I felt badly because you're doing like four voices. You're, you're losing track of them sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes one of them sounding like one character while saying things that the other character would say. So, and in those early tapes, you could hear me switch characters yes. by saying, you could hear me between voices say, and he goes, yes, yes. <laughs> and so it'd be like, it's a script in your mind. Razorblade's like, what's up, kids? And then he goes, hey, guys, how you doing? <laughs> That's right. And I'm narrating this thing as I'm saying it. So it's schizophrenic, right? You uh, totally. Hear, you could hear me like blurred out, like kind of blurted out. It's amazing talent. Like I, I've tried to duplicate it. It's, it's almost impossible. Wait, are you impossible. serious? Yeah, I've tried my own. Are you serious? You really were impressed by me. Oh, yeah. It's really difficult to do, to switch voices and have a clear back and forth between characters that makes sense. You just need to be insane. It, well, it works. I love how we're saying this, and the few geeks gave us who are still listening to this yeah. psychotic episode <laughs> yeah. are like, we kind of want Jonathan to start doing this again. This sounds, yeah. this sounds pretty bad. Matt, Matt Kelly's like, this sounds pretty badass. Or, or maybe they've just turned it off. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So uh, I felt bad for, badly for you because oh, this guy's really stressed out. I need to insert he's somebody really in he's here. He's really carrying the load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was watching an episode of Wheel of Fortune. No, uh, it wasn't Wheel of Fortune. It was, was the Bob Barker show. Uh, Price is Right. Price I was right watching show. Price is Right. And, uh, you know, Price is Right when Bob Barker did it was so cheesy. It was awful. It was a terrible yeah. show. And I was watching it for God knows what reason. And there was a, uh, a very excited lady who was uh, very overweight. And she's like, I'm from Philadelphia. <laughs> she's like, Bob, I love you. She, she came on down and she was, she was jumping around and her name was Unique. Are you serious? Yes, her name was. I dude, I don't think you've ever told me this. Story. No, I don't, think, I don't think I have. Her name was Unique. And so I was like, I was thinking in my head, oh, she's from Philadelphia, like Unique. That's a really unique name. And then I started thinking like, of crime and grease unique. Or I think crime because Razorblade needed somebody. Because Razorblade was all about cleaning the streets, getting, yeah. being positive for the kids, and you needed somebody to be like his. Yeah, his antithesis. Yeah, he needed a, he needed a, 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 an anti-villain. Yeah, like he needed his villain. So I I was like, okay, so you know this guy's a bad guy. He's evil. He's a pimp. He's running drugs. He's just greasy, man. He's just greasy. He's greased unique way, but unique way is a girl's name, so he's yeah. greased unique. And that was crazy. That's where it came from. Yeah, crazy, right? And we started that music, and you'd come in and be like, oh, <laughs> He was never really that good. But he, was, he was still not that funny, but he was a good counterpart to, to Razor Blade, Blade. To the Blade. To the Blade. Yeah. Which the Blade is kind of based, if you listen to the comic book episode from December, he's kind of based on the guy who came in and threatened me for not getting up and finding a, a Gen 13 comic. The guy who's like, remember me. He's basically Razor Blade. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Just as big, like today, if you were to cast the movie, obviously John Claude Van Damme plays Claude. Yes. Well, he's a little old now. Well, that's good. Okay. He could definitely be a. Um, that's true. But I, but um, Terry Crews would have to play Razorblade. Yes, for sure. Terry Crews sure. would be Razorblade. Except he couldn't be the happy, goofy Terry Crews. He'd have no. to be a little bit more hard. psychotic. Yeah. And then uh, uh, someone like who would play Carson and Hank? Uh, pick your. Pick your cowboy poison. Yeah, I would think like gruff. Sam, uh, uh, what's his name? The guy in, who's the narrator for Big Lebowski. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Sam. Uh, oh, the geekscapists are yelling at me. The five geekscapists are still listening to this psychotic episode. Um, Put him in a ten gallon hat. Yeah. Roll him in with a cigarette stained mustache. Halls. Sam Elliott. You Sam Elliott. Yeah. Halls. You ever you ever eat, you ever heard of Merkin Spider? But tell. So these are the mainstays, but. T- I counted how many characters we made over four years. Are you fucking kidding yeah, me? Yeah, it's over 200. What? You can believe it. It's over 200. Wait. Kevin, did you listen to every tape? Yeah. Wait, you listened to all, like, what, 50, 60 tapes? Yes, because I was trying to put together a, a, a narrative. I, I wanted to make an actual gift for you that was everything together in its entirety, or cut up, at least without the music, uh, in its entirety from start to finish. That's but a- it's so hard with the tape, I couldn't do it. I never had the time. Right. It, oh my god, we got to do this. I have them. I have them. I, I'm coming back to LA right after Arizona. I can bring them all back on my luggage. What you got in there? Excuse me. What do you have in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh dude, this is that is going to be under lock and key in fireproof safe. I don't know. It is so valuable wait, to me. I don't know if I want you to fly. With, wait, how big is this box? Uh, it probably can fit into four or five shoe boxes. That's how many tapes we have. Okay, so not bad. Yeah, not bad. And obviously, I would keep them safe. Well, it's the travel that scares me. It's the travel that the scares magnetic, me. Magnetic, yes. magnetic ionosphere. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I ate it. Uh, see, I just did reggae bum with Hank's voice. Right. Um, so, 
Okay, so maybe this is a way we got to find a different way to do this. I, if I bring, if, if they're in LA, I'll find a way to digitize them. So my other dream is always, we've talked about this many times, is to take like a collection of our thoughts and write it to a script where they have... Adventures. Yeah, really. Because what we would do, like towards sophomore and junior year, our storytelling became much better. And they would actually have a clear start and finish. They would have travel adventures. And we'd actually start prepping and doing pre-production where we'd do pre-recorded skits that were impossible to do live. So you'd have sound effects layered upon soundtracks, layered upon... Um, multiple dialogues with crowds in the background. Yeah, you'd have crowds. And this all, this all came out of like the sound effect libraries. And the, yeah. Because here's what happened is after that first semester, by second semester, Cameron and I, oh, they gave us a noon Sunday slot. But then come sophomore year, the upperclassmen didn't give a shit anymore. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of them were actually really bad at running the studio, the studio or the, the, the radio station. So we ran the radio station, and they made me station manager. Yes. I was like a station manager by sophomore year. Yes. Because I was the only one who cared. You were like Doogie Hauser of the radio station. I, dude, I loved it, and you were my program director. Yes. And so the program director, you would give everybody time slots and make sure people were there on time, and they were broadcasting. But for that sophomore year, I was the station manager, and you were the program director, and we basically ran the station. And a lot of that involved managing the other DJs, Bringing in advertising, yep. getting them on cassette tape and transferring them to the 8-track so that That's other right. DJs could play them, so we could bring in a little bit of money for the studio, um, organizing new music. And I remember when the new music would come in, you and I were at the studio every day. Yes. And we would sit on the floor and put the, or sit in the office and put the CDs into a CD player, and we would go track by track. And just do voices based on what... And I... You know, it's funny. As I did this the other day... Um, who was... I was with... I forget who I was with. And, and I'm literally playing music and going song by song. And every song was different. And as I'm skipping tracks, I'm going through different voices. Yeah. And doing it because it's all like intro music and we always yeah. the intro music we always, it was so important to have a character come in with yeah. intro music because it would set the tone <laughs> right. and be like look who's in the studio hey what's up you know what I mean and, and um, we would sit there and listen to all the intro music and just create characters that would be our character for that week so really the writing involved just listening to music it was basically improv it was basically sketch comedy improv but then you had a couple hours to refine it right. and then before you did it live or before you laid it down because we would just we would obsess over that character for the entirety of the week yeah and we we're like man can't wait to get on the radio <laughs> yeah. and by that time by, by sophomore year we're doing the radio show at night during the week yep and the other stuff that happened in like 98 99 is uh, we now lived together, which was for better or worse. <laughs> because Probably for worse. We were like, dude, we are seeing way too much of each yes. other. Yes. It was like and a bad relationship. Like, Kevin, just get away from me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just get away from me. Yeah. And, and, and so we were uh, living together and uh, talking characters. We couldn't really talk to other people. We were basically socially fucked. Yes. And we were just the two weirdos who would go around doing voices on campus. Yeah. <laughs> like, people couldn't talk to us. No, gr- right. no girls anywhere. And we're, we're just weirdos. But the, the redeeming quality now that I recognize 15, 16 years later is 
you, one, your music compendium is amazing. I have a, because um, you deal with music every day from the 70s until the 2000s. Right. I can tell you every record, every CD, and, and I love music. So I, I went on to do music. I went on to play in a band. I went on to do a TV show in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a, like an amazing experience for me. The second was the people who worked in that radio station were really great people yeah. because they were all the, Maybe like Geekscape listeners can can relate. They're all the people that didn't really fit in in, in in all the different cliques that were on campus. <laughs> so and, the but they were super is, smart, yeah. very intelligent, very quirky, and they've gone on and done great stuff in their life. Uh, They're really passionate also about music, and they all had different tastes. It was really the beginning. Well, I would say that we were on, like at the very beginning of. Electronic music. Yes. Remember how many people in '98 were trying? They wanted to join the radio station so That's they, could, right. they could get to those two turntables. Yes, yeah. and they wanted to get to those two turntables, and they wanted to plug in whatever the hell they wanted, so that they could do mixes and DJ. So we actually probably stopped a few burgeoning digital artist careers because we were so scared about those needles on those turntables that we made it illegal to do any scratching. So all the hip-hop kids were pissed off. We did that, didn't we? Yes. And, but then, you remember uh, Dan Fleischman? He was, okay. he was the number one electronic DJ. And this is in the 90s. So this is like, it was big in Europe, but America had never heard of it. Right. And we actually sat there and we were like, I don't understand why you like it, Dan. It's just boom, -ch, boom, -ch, boom. -ch. It just sounds yeah. like noise. Like, I couldn't understand it. And yeah. now, 15 years later, I'm like, oh my God, I could have been, that could have been the next If you could stand uh, to listen to that, next... stand to listen to that crap, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, think about how much, how much, uh, how big that scene has exploded. Of course, and we it's, had some pretty talented people developing their own techniques there, and we totally missed that. Like, we missed the ball on that one. Well, what are they going to do? You know, know what I mean? Like, they're probably like not doing that anymore. anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Like, what, <laughs> what ball did we exactly? Because we didn't let them scratch the needles. The other thing that happened, like towards the end of freshman year, is we started going out and like trying to solicit <clears throat> interviews. Mm -hmm. And trying to get bands to not perform this, but just do interviews. So I remember, like we we took the train down to Swarthmore, and we spent the night in Swarthmore because there were no trains anymore, just to see the Mr. T experience. Yes, and I remember meeting the Mr. T experience and being like so excited. I was meeting my favorite band in a college basement show in Swarthmore. Yeah, and like now I'm friends with them, and we just did their music video last year, and. Uh, and Frank is awesome, and uh, Joel has a band in Boston called The Fatal Flaw, and, and just meeting all those bands through radio, and uh, and when I was doing music videos, like that was really like the beginning of my music videos, was not having those relationships, and being like, hey, I do film now, but um, that, and that was by the end of freshman year, and, uh, and sophomore year, I think you're right, we started thinking, we started thinking about narratives more. Yeah. Because our heads started going crazy, and it was it wasn't just interviews. The other thing I did was I reached out to like Wizard Magazine mm. and asked them if there were any comic book uh, professionals who lived in Philadelphia. And I remember the only comic book professional who responded to me was John Arcudi, who'd co-created The Mask with Doug Monkey, who'd just done Mankey. I don't know how to pronounce it, but he'd just done like a run. he just did a run of Justice League that was really his artwork's incredible. And John Arcudi now has uh, a, a comic on, I believe Image puts out, called Rumble. He, he worked with Mike Mignola to do a lot of the BPRD comics. And John Arcudi like, became my friend that year because he was the only person who ever came to the studio to get interviewed. Yeah. And it's amazing. So that was like, I would consider him to be the first Geekscape interview. Yeah. Is to sit down with a comic book creator. <laughs> it, it must have been junior year or sophomore year because it was in the middle of the night. 
yeah. or it was at it was at night, and I remember sitting down with him and being so self conscious that our studio was junk. Yeah, but credit to John for coming down to the studio in West Philly in like ten o'clock at night and doing an interview with me that nobody heard. And years later, when I was at grad school in New York, John would still mail me comics. And I remember I'd go down to the like that Market Street station, the train station that yep. had been converted into a, a sandwich or like a like a uh, uh, what, into deli, a, a, like a farmers market, okay. <clears throat> deli really. And we'd get we'd get sandwiches and we'd sit there and we would just like make fun of stuff. And uh, it was huge for me to be like, oh, this guy created this property and now I, he's like my friend or to like see bands. Uh, I remember freshman year before the Mr. T experience, we I met Scott Kloppenstein. Remember when we got on Real Big Fish's tour? Yes, band? that's right. Yeah, and that is how we met Paige Donahue, yep. who introduced us to the MTX. Yep. And Paige and I were connected a few years ago at a Dr. Frank show here in LA. But Paige was the merch girl for Real Big Fish. We went on to Real Big Fish's tour bus, and I met Scott Kloppenstein who would later play my wedding and do the music for Hero of the Prophecy. And it all was there because we were that's in the radio. Right. Yeah. We only had that because we got in the radio. Yeah, that's right. You know, which is insane that we, like, looking at the fact that Scott would then, who I met as an 18-year-old on that tour bus, we were both 18, and he, the dude would play my wedding years later. That's wild. And then make music for Hero of the Prophecy and single them and all my projects. And, like, Scott's amazing. So yeah, it was it was interesting too because the music at that time was a real underground like hardcore punk scene going on in Philadelphia. Yeah, and it, it, and the pop punk was just coming in, and it was in its heyday. So Blink One Eighty Two and uh, Green Day, uh, Green Day, all these bands were really at the, the top of their game during that time. But it was still kind of indie in the fact that only a certain people really knew the the inside crowd, and because we were at, the bands that weren't Blink One Eighty Two and Green Day, right? Like the bands under there, the bands that were on labels like. Lookout or the early drive-through records, or but you could still go to a Green Day and say, "I know these bands," and they'd respect you because you weren't you weren't just on the bandwagon, sure, right? And that's what happened to me. So I moved out to LA. Uh, well, I did a couple internships out here, but I did a oh, the summer um, two thousand. Yeah, like, I did. Are a, we going to do that? Are I did a summer studio internship at one of the top studios in the world. Uh, one of them was uh, R&B studio uh, up in Sherman Oaks, and the other one was right next down uh, on Sunset Boulevard, uh, right below the Hollywood uh, sign. And meeting Dr. Dre, Eminem, Snoop Dogg. I mean, the heyday of R&B up at that right. studio, and then Green Day. Uh, who else was there? Um, Gwen Stefani, so on and so forth, down at the other studio. And when I went up to Green Day, I was wearing a, an criminal indie band shirt. t-shirt. You were wearing the criminal. Yeah, and they were immediately like, dude, how do you know that band? I'm like, well, I'm a huge fan of da-da-da-da-da, and I have a radio station, da-da-da-da, in Philadelphia. And, it, and it immediately, it was, it was a conversation that lasted a while and got me fired from that job. <laughs> but, <laughs> You're a little too uh, familiar with the bands. Yeah. Um, but so what, was, what happened there... Uh, Sophomore year was with WXPN shared our the WXPN, which was now eighty eight point five Philadelphia, and expanded from Pennsylvania to Baltimore, the tri-state area, the tri-state area, New Jersey. They shared our building. Yep. And so WKHS, this afterthought, close net circuit station, shared the building with WXPN still, and they were like the big brother that did well, and. I remember we got asked to do Sunday night spots on WXPN. And I remember the station manager, Vinny. Yeah, Vinny. I remember Vinny, the station manager, asking me, 
do you want to do 10 to midnight or do you want to do midnight to 2 a.m.? And I remember saying midnight to 2 a.m. because I knew <laughs> they'd go to sleep. And I intended to just take all the characters that we still did every week on the QHS show yeah. and do those characters again on FM Philadelphia. I mean, serious radio. Like serious yes. radio. Not only serious this radio. This was but, no joke. But guys, WXPN is, they, they, they record a lot of shows, one of which Kevin had an internship in engineering uh, and he would engineer the World Cafe. Yeah. And World Cafe... Still, had, still to this day is syndicated the, all over the It's a huge US. show. Yeah. That's where David Letterman would learn about all his acts. And yeah. while you were there, you saw Cake, That's right. Richard Ashcroft, and all That's these right. big artists coming through and doing guest spots there. And they would just come into the same building. So Kevin and I ended up with this Sunday night slot on WXPN. I think like... Our th- uh, like midway through our sophomore year, yeah. Because going into summer '99, when I took an internship in New York at MTV, we started having bands in the studio, and we were yes. like, "Hey, if if World Cafe can claim to be on WXPN and have bands in the studio, we're gonna get our bands in the studio." And yeah. we started having like the Bouncing Souls, New Found Glory, Midtown, yeah. Dynamite Boy, like. But what was cool is the Groovy Gullies. Remember how they I, I had learned how to day. I learned how to record. Yeah, because they had taught me the actual studio engineering, and they had a live studio there that had right. all kinds of microphones and professional equipment, so we could actually make very high quality recordings, just like you were in a recording studio, mm-hmm. and broadcast them live, but then save them for our own collections and do it like an interview slash song type format. Yeah, so it was that was awesome. I I love that. And remember when we interviewed Blink Twenty Two? Okay, so this is a good story. We're going to talk about... This is going to go a little bit more into the comedy section. We're going to talk about uh, the Golden Comet and Phantasmo Blanco. So what happens is we are on WXPN, and now there are people listening. Yes. Now we're doing radio that people are actually listening to. Lots of people. We went from like 10 listeners because... The one thing that happened also sophomore year that we made sure of when we were station manager and program director is that we started broadcasting over the internet. Yes. Holy shit, dude. In 1998, yes. we started broadcasting over the internet, which is so, which is such a, a given today. So we were talking about this. It was over real audio. Which real, real that audio was the, was it was like, like an app, like, it was a program, an application. It was one of the first streaming applications. WinAmp and Real Audio were the two first live streaming amps that were commonly available. And what you could do is you could in, use an embed code to put it in your website. Like it, we had a GeoCities website, yes, which is the equivalent of like a Wix. <laughs> yeah. Like today, the GeoCities equivalent is like having a Wix website, like a do it your own, make your own website. And Kevin had made a, a GeoCities site, and we had in there embedded this media player. And I had friends in Austin listen to the show. We, had, we started having people listen to the show, and it was the crap show that nobody in Philly could listen to, but over the internet they could listen to. And it was, that was really the Geekscape origin right there. That's right. And so we go up to WXPN, and going from like maybe the 10, 20 people who would listen to us over the internet to the... Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who listened to us over the tri-state area, and we didn't change a thing. Yeah. Well, we I dialed mean, back we, the well, skits a bit. I still had the character. We, back we still the did the characters because yeah. I remember a dude. First off, we're, <laughs> it was a rough town dude, Philly dude. Dude, that called we up. were driving. We, I mean, first off, we were still rocking the music. Yep. We were still doing pop punk and rock and roll and heavy music. And having fun. And uh, I remember getting a phone call 
from some dude who's driving up from Baltimore, and he was <laughs> like, "Man, I just gotta tell you," and, I, and he was like, "I love what you're doing," and I was like, "Can I put you on the air?" Because you had to ask permission. Yeah. And I remember putting this guy on the, and I was like, "Will you say that on the air?" Because it meant a lot to me that some guy had called up and wanted to hear, like, tell us on the air how awesome yeah. we were, you know? And so, because I didn't think we were awesome at all, I thought we were weirdos. And I remember putting him on the air, and he was like, "Dude." I'm driving up from Baltimore, and you guys are keeping me awake because you guys keep playing this badass music, and you guys are hilarious. I love it. I want to talk to your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I want to talk to your uncle. Carcinogen Hank. And I was like, oh, he means Carcinogen Hank, who doesn't effing exist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember being we like... We didn't make that clear. We did not make that clear on, on WXPN. Like, clearly, like... <laughs> yeah. Kevin and I knew these characters didn't exist, but this guy driving up from Baltimore was like, I want to talk to your uncle. So I was like, uh, yeah, let, let me see where I can get him. And I would go and I'd grab a bunch of stack of CDs and I would stack them and be like, hey, Hank, in the background, right? I'd be like, hey, Hank, uh, somebody wants to talk to you. somebody on the phone? <laughs> and, and, and I would bring, quote unquote, bring Hank over, shuffle yeah. a couple things on the desk, like he's making, like I'm making room for him. Like you're, what are they, like, you're a Dolby soundstage yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like a Foley yeah. artist. I'm like my makeshift yeah, yeah, Foley yeah. stage. Yeah. He's like, he's like, Hank, listen, I want to talk to you about like your time in Vietnam. And now I'm like fucked because I don't know shit. Kason, Dip Song, San Song, and all them brother ones too. My cop out, my cop out was this. How do I know you ain't working for the other side? Because I was like, I was like, pretty soon this guy's not gonna know I don't know shit about anything. He's like, I want to talk to you about my time in Vietnam. You know, my dad spent time in Vietnam. How do I know you ain't working for the other side? Come on, Hoss, you think I'm that stupid? Um, okay. (laughs) Hey, man, thanks for talking. Uh-oh, he's going into another one of his bomb flashbacks. We got to take him. Hank, no, you're here. And I just started screaming. He's like, Hank, Hank, you're in the studio. No, 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 you're not back in Kason, please. Ah, ah. He's going into a bomb flashback. Do you see what you did? We'll talk to you later. Here's another song. It was just... So the, uh, we're still we're still Golden Comet and uh, Phantasmal Blanco. I want to go back to the to the WXPN uh, callers in because I had an interesting call there. But let's go back to Phantasmal Blanco and the Golden Comet. Okay. So tell them a little bit about the origin of that because the Mexican wrestling dude, mask came dude, from your mother. So my mom sent me a wrestling mask. Yes, I, I for, dude, I forgot she sent me that. Yes, she that was sent from me your a mom. Mexican wrestling mask. Um, that had to have been junior. That was after. See, that was that was junior year. That was yes. after '99 because yeah. I remember summer '99 was when Blink 182 popped. Because remember, like freshman or sophomore year, we went to see Blink 182 open for Less Than Jake. Yeah, it was still uh, what was the name at of that the, cow- at the album? Truck Cat or Dude Ranch? Dude Ranch. No, Dude Ranch was the one coming out Dude, to pop that exploded. No, that was that Ooh. was Anima of the state. Uh, well, anyway, it was. Summer I remember, that I remember time buying that in Times Square yeah. when I interned for MTV in summer '99 and. That was the one that, like, what's your age again? And Blink-182 is running around naked, and that blew it up. But uh, up until that point, like, I remember seeing Blink-182 open for Less Than Jake. In the, you know, the, tr- the Trocadero is kind of a small club in downtown Philly. And, old, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm uh, w- you know, that summer, I'm at Trachtenberg, and we made a bunch of short films for, for New York Film Academy, mm-hmm. where he was that summer. And I came back to Penn, and people now knew the station manager and program director of WQHS, and they wanted us to be on their TV network. Now, 
it wasn't good enough for Kevin and I to be on the crappy closed circuit radio network. Yeah. They wanted us to be on the crappy closed circuit TV network. And there was a, a kid who had a TV show with the star of the basketball team, whose name was also Michael Jordan. Yes, and he was quite good. And he was a good guy. He was cool. Uh, so this, this, this kid and Michael Jordan had this show on, clo- on the closed circuit college TV station. Yeah, it's like a public access channel. It's like a public access channel. And they're making jokes. And he really wanted to kind of be like Howard Stern and make jokes and have like a, a zoo crew with him. And, like, and I remember he brought me in because uh, he wanted to work with me and he wanted me to show one of these short films, Tracton's short films on the, the TV show. And I just remember being like, you know what? When I'm being an idiot on radio, it's fine. But now these people are going to know my face. And I'd been dating Kirsten at that time. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I actually have a girlfriend. And I'm going to be on closed-circuit TV. And people on campus are going to see what I look like. And I'm going to be acting like an idiot. I hate closed-circuit college television. College television sucks. Like, show me any college t- television outside of, like, BYU TV that doesn't stink. Mm. And uh, you can't. College radio sucks. And you look like an idiot. You know what college radio is? It's boom goes the dynamite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like basically, boom goes the dynamite is like college radio or college TV, and so I told Kevin, I was like, Kevin, these guys want me to come on their TV show, and they're going to talk to me about shorts. It's going to be so effing boring. I don't know how it's going to be funny. It's not going to be funny. This is going to suck. So this is what you have to do. And I remember giving Kevin this. I was like, I have a Mexican wrestling mask. We went and bought you a, the the golden. Color. That one was a nice mask. Yeah, I wish I still had it. The one my mom sent me was okay. Yeah, it was just cheesy. I still have it. Was it. made of yarn. It had I still, yarn in it. I still have it, bro. I still have it. I can become the Fantasma Blanco anytime you want. And so I got this this Mexican wrestling mask. But Kevin and I bought. We were just pumped about having Mexican wrestling masks. Yes. So you went and got this Mexican wrestling mask, and the whole sketch was that midway through my interview yes. on college television, which was so embarrassing. You were going to come in as this vendetta, rage-filled Mexican wrestler and be like, London, you and I have a score to settle. I've hunted you down from across the country to come up from Mexico. Remember, I had a board sawed in half, too. I had a two-by-four sawed in half. You came in with this two-by-four that we had spent the night before on the radio station sawing in half. Yes, yeah. So when you hit me with it, it would break. Yes. And... Fuck, how does this So, okay, work? this is... I, I have this. it on tape somewhere, okay, dude. I, know I swear this. I have this shit on tape. I know tape. this by heart because okay. it, it makes me laugh. Every <laughs> okay. So, so these serious guys uh, are really trying to do their serious interview yes. and have their serious college right, TV show. So I show up to the... And I know that in, at a certain moment, any moment, Kevin's going to burst in there like a psychotic wearing wrestling gear. So oh, check out this wrestling gear. This is even funnier because this was the first iteration of Golden Comet when I had no money to spend towards it. Yeah. So I... I had tights that I had bought. I had hockey compression shorts that I used to play, wear when I played ice hockey. I had socks over those. I had a Speedo on that I used to wear when I was on a diving team in high school. And then I had a black shirt with a golden sticker on it. And that was it. It was just a golden and then sticker. The golden, the golden mask. mask. And then I was like, every wrestler needs a cape. So I ripped a pen umbrella, which is a, a blue and red umbrella. I ripped the skin off the umbrella and tied it around my neck. Yeah, that was your cape. <laughs> Fucking cheesy as hell. So I'm, I'm waiting in the wings as a normal guy, but I have a sweat, sweatshirt on. And, and then, by waiting in the wings, you're waiting by like the, the TV engineers. Yes. Who are like moving the, they're doing like the dissolves and stuff yes. like that. And, you're, and, and, and you come in and they look up like, what the 
fuck is happening? Yeah. Like, what the, why is this psycho? No, 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 no. I changed out of their view. So I was in like a hooded sweatshirt. Oh, you came in and you I backed out. away into a shadow. I changed and then I just ran in like so, a crazy. So one minute you're sitting there yes. normal and the next minute you're a And nobody knew who I was. You look like a gimp. Yeah, nobody knew who I was. So I came running in. And I, f- I immediately slammed the board over your head. I no, think- you ran in. You were like, London. Yeah, London. I got to score. So, boom. I slammed the board. You get up and you bring your wrestling, mask, uh, wrestling mask out of your pocket. And then you put it, you put it on <laughs> Wait, to serious? circle me. Yes. You put it <laughs> on to circle yeah. me. So these two hosts are like, what the fuck just yeah. happened? This psycho came in and smashed a board. And like cut a board in half. Yeah. And but, like, but that and wasn't and enough. Then, and then I hopped up and I go, I hopped up and I, and I was like, I know, don't worry, guys. I'll settle this. And like, I, oh, my arch nemesis is here. <laughs> the golden comet. I go, don't worry, guys. And I put this Mexican wrestling mask on and I was like, I'll take care of this. And I started circling you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we're doing this circle. And then what did you do? So this is the moment. This is actually the unfortunate moment when our <laughs> schizophrenic dreams became reality. Yeah. Because everybody else in the room had a look of horrified terror on their face. <laughs> and Kevin like, and I, what the fuck is happening, man? Are these people insane? <laughs> And we're thinking this is hilarious and normal. And I really just wanted to trash their show because I yes. thought college TV was stupid. So I actually didn't like the jocks, and I thought Michael Jordan was a little arrogant. So I came in there with, I was like, you know what, John? If this goes bad, I'm going to attack the host. <laughs> and now, keep in mind, he's a college athlete, so he's actually quite large and could, could destroy me any day of the week. But I, I figured... I'll put a bunch of glitter, golden glitter, and that'll be my comet trail. Like every yeah. comet's got this nice trail, yeah, yeah. right? And if I run out, I'll run. You, I'll you throw need the, your gimmick. Yeah, I'll throw the glitter it's a, it's and a my, gold dust. the comet has exited. Yeah, beat yeah. my trail or yeah. whatever I said. Yeah. So instead, Michael Jordan had this look of disgust on his face. I decided to dump it on his head. So I took it out of my pants and I dumped it on his head. You took this whole thing of glitter and just dumped. Yeah, you, didn't I, you throw it at me like? Bl- oh, yeah, it was to blind dude, you. It dude, was in my. I hit you over the head with a phone book. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's I grabbed right. a phone. There was a phone book in the room. When you attacked me, we circled, and then I grabbed the phone book and I smacked <laughs> you. This is what it was. I, I I swung at you. I smacked you in the head with it. You were like ah. You were dazed. And when and, and while you were dazed yeah. away from no, while you were dazed away from me, you reached into like a cheater, like yes. a wrestling cheater. You reached into your tights and you pulled out this glitter, and then you were gonna turn and blow it on my face to blind me. So you turn around, you blinded me with it, you yeah, yeah. and blow it in my face. Straight out of Bloodsport, by the way, where he yeah. crushes the talcum powder and yeah. blows it in. So I start acting like I'm blind. I'm like, ah! And I just start, like, wheeling. I'm just throwing haymakers. Yes. Just trashing everything. And the hosts are like, we don't know how to control this. You, you So I, I, I get out of the way, and the, the glitter hits the coast in the face. Yes. And then you pour the rest of it on Michael Jordan's head. Yes. And, and then I think I had a good tagline, like, get dusted. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty good one. And but then he picked me up, and then he was pissed. Then he, the dude, rage came into his eyes. Dude, he was pissed. Yes, because he's, he's now, he's like a popular high school jock who thinks he's going to the NBA. He did And uh, he did He went to Italian leagues. Oh, he did? Yeah, he did. And so you dumped that stuff on his head, and, and he's embarrassed. Yes, yes. And then he, he, was he picks pissed. me up, and he like does a 360 with me around the room. Thankfully, he didn't like break my back over the chair. Yeah. But then I realized, well, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> but I decided to do the running man in the air to, make, <laughs> to add the comedic effect. I have, dude, I have this on VHS somewhere. I have. I bet you it's back in Austin. I have to find this tape. That's amazing. Because we basically trashed their studio. They're covered in glitter, and we got the fuck out of there. And I'm pretty sure that is the moment I invented the glitter bomb. The glitter bomb did not exist yeah. in 1999. So we trashed their studio. We run out of there, and immediately people are coming up to us, like on college campus, <laughs> yeah. and being like, 
that was the greatest thing I've ever <laughs> yeah. seen. Like you guys are psychotic. Yeah. Um, in it was in, in George Callert, who's my producer now. He only knew me because he saw me on that closed circuit television. No way. Yeah, I remember. Like after college, like he wanted to be my friend because he's like, I still remember you going and like you guys trashing their studio. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. That guy asked me to come back and be like, a, I don't know, like a commentator on his unfunny show. Oh, yeah. And I was so annoyingly offensive oh, yeah. that I, he never asked me back. Yeah, I was yeah. like, dude, this is stupid. I don't want to be here. <laughs> Like this is this sucks. So, I, I know what funny is, and funny is doing multiple voices in a two-hour radio being, show. Being schizophrenic by yourself in a studio. So you had that that Mexican wrestling outfit. Yes. And what happened, Geekscape, is was we went and interviewed Blink One Eight Two for our, our radio show. Well, hold on, let me set what? this up, John. Oh, you There's set a background it up. to please, it. Please, please. So I had been doing all the phone calls to get them into the WXPN studio because I wanted a live performance. They were in town. They had just hit the big time. They had their own huge-ass arena that they booked right. out. I wanted them live in the WXPN studios. And their manager said, I'm sorry, uh, no. Basically, they're too famous. But you can do an interview at the venue. Yeah, so was I was the, pissed. Which was the electric factory. And yeah, I was, I was mad. I was like, well, this is crap, man. Like, this is not going to be fun at all. I don't, uh, how's the road? You know, yeah. like stupid crap like that. I, so, and then we had no interest in doing a normal interview. So that's where we came up with the idea of, you know what? I think the Golden Comet needs to make an appearance. And at this time, I invested some money into the Golden Comet. I had bought a brand new golden, like, huge-ass golden patch that was very... <laughs> that's was, an investment going to an yeah, art store. Yeah. <laughs> going to an art store and buying a bigger decal. And a pro cape. I had a pro cape at that time, too. It wasn't a fucking umbrella. Oh, yeah, you had a silver cape. Yeah, it wasn't a golden a, cape. Yeah, golden cape. It wasn't an umbrella anymore. And then, uh, and I remember I was like, here's the strategy. We're going to go backstage to the electric factory, introduce ourselves, all start doing a normal interview with Blink-182. Yes. And it was basically Mark and Tom. Yes. And then you were going to go be in the hallway changing into this gimp gear. I met them. No, no. no. You met them as as Kevin. Yes, yes. You met them as Kevin. It was the same thing that happened in the studio. And then you were going to go into the hallway and you were going to dress as the Golden Comet. Income charging and be like, what's up? <laughs> but it changed. What? What the? Ch- because they had to do a sound check, so we couldn't go outside. So we basically they put us in their dressing room and they go, hey guys, we got to do a sound check. Well, let's oh, do yeah. this. Let's do this interview after we get back. And I was like, John, this is it. I got to change now. Yeah. So I was sitting on the couch as Kevin, and when it came back, it was some fucking gimp dude with yeah. a gold comment. Yeah, when, when they, I remember when they left to do the sound check. Yes. we were normal. When they came back, you had changed. And, yes. they, and I, I was terrified. Dude, My heart was beating like I was committing a crime. Dude, their face. <laughs> they walked into the room, and I just remember Mark's face when he saw you. Was like. What the fuck is this shit? Yeah, and then, so I had to. I was terrified. So but I was you like, were on character. I gotta go. I gotta go full bore, or this is gonna suck. So what's up? See a little look of surprise on your face. We're we gonna do this interview or what? <laughs> so we we framed it like they were gonna interview me, and I was the famous guy. Yeah. So I was like, I came here for an interview. Tell me something about Blink One Eighty Five Thousand. I don't know. <laughs> oh shit. I don't know about that. Yeah. And. uh I just need I just need to do my thing. So you gonna you gonna interview me or what? And so you start doing this character. And how long is that interview? I don't know. It's like 30, 45 minutes. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's a legitimate. Because we're doing happens, the whole thing as Golden Comet. We did a good back I'm and doing forth. Myself. We I'm did doing a good myself. back and forth. Yeah. You basically added. You asked the serious questions, and I'd be like, "Hold on, diversion. Let's get back. <laughs> let's get back to my story, the Golden <laughs> Comet." And it was basically Razor Blade's voice. because yeah. I didn't know any other voice. But it was dressed in this Max and Wrestler outfit. 
So the funniest yeah. line from that whole thing was they started getting into it, and they're like, "Oh, they oh, they're like Mr. Golden Comet, uh, do you want a beer or something?" I'm like, "A tasty frosty brew." And the drinks get the fuck yeah, out yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, "Yeah, a tasty frosty brew." Like, I don't drink, so hails no. Get that shit yeah, out of my that, face. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I have it on my computer, and I'll post it with this article. Tasty frosty Davis, uh, get on the uh, Geekscape.net website on this on this this uh episode you'll see a xerox uh, a polaroid that i took with mark's camera yes of mark and tom with you yeah. as the golden Cup. i have the other polaroid what was the other polaroid it's the same so they they it was their tour camera yeah they took three pictures one for their album and then two for you and me oh yeah because they I, no, actually I, I think there were only two i think what i have is a scan of yours oh okay okay i think so there were only two i have the i have the original back in my album but so they, the, what was cr- curious was they asked for the photo yeah they're like this is hilarious we let's I, take a photo I, yeah. of you so they somewhere in their scrapbook somewhere they got a picture of you and me dressed as r- ridiculous mexican wrestlers dude that was insane and we interviewed weezer yep that's right mxpx we didn't do anything crazy for that though no 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 we were tired we we're done we we're done <laughs> the word was out on us um and uh and i think what happened was like once like doing a year old around um like we started making short films for your german class <laughs> yes and like that was the crying like, the crying indian so so kevin not, i'm not gonna say he was a terrible student <laughs> i was a terrible student that's easy i barely <laughs> but, graduated but kevin had like these uh these language class you took so many damn language classes yeah and for every language class there would come the assignment where you were supposed to write a report and in lieu of writing a report you wanted to make a short film because my dad had got me a high eight camera, and so what we ended up doing was instead of you writing a report and actually I don't know doing the work, yeah. you would you would make a incredibly ridiculous yes. experimental film. And I, at that point, I was taking I was taking uh, class. I was taking I was really into film classes yes. with. Uh, John Katz, who the late John Katz, who was like the guy who really introduced me into film and made me appreciate film. And uh, he was one of the high ups at the Philadelphia Film Festival, and I just remember, um, like, loving mo- movies and kind of getting into more experimental movies and college movies. And you had this idea that if you didn't, if you just made, it, you would. How did you even sell your teachers on the idea <laughs> of not doing a report, but yeah. instead doing a Freaking short film, experimental short yes. film in that language, dude. So what was, what was funny is my German teacher was a uh, art film, a, uh, art buff. So he loved uh, experimental German films. So he had t- told us that. And I told him like, well, I can do that. How about I do that for my project instead? He's like, oh, I love that. That's, that is so cool. So try to do it. In the, in the style of the 1920s German films, those nice black and whites, and really play with the colors, and, and he was all about it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we totally didn't do that. We made a fucking no. crying Indian <laughs> surrounded with trash in the bathtub, <laughs> talking about the environment. You made this weird... I, but the thing is, <laughs> dude, you were the one taking the German class, yet I had to yeah. be speaking German, because <laughs> yes. I'm acting for Kevin. And you did it in a Nazi voice. <laughs> you were like... I was so aggressive. Yeah. And so I'm acting in Kevin's German films. And I recruited my German students in my class to be in it with me. 
There was what? like two or three people in my I class that did it with that me. I don't remember that at all. Yes. But you, we made like two or three films for your German. I don't know how we convinced people to be a part of it because... They were was, just weird. Yeah, there was times... They, they show up to your apartment and it's me in a loincloth. <laughs> yes. I'm literally staring... I'm wearing a loincloth. Yes. It's about to get nasty, folks. <laughs> I'm wearing a loincloth and these like college kids show up to me in Kevin's short film. And I'm wearing a loincloth with these freak... I'm trying to speak and he, he's giving me phonetic German that I have to repeat. As soon as he says action, yeah, I have to repeat yeah. it. And then we didn't have editing material. Like, cause yes, uh, we had to edit it on cause, the camera. Because a high eight horrible. is not digital. And yeah. we didn't have it imported into... I didn't know how to import it into like... Premiere, I think it was Premiere back in the day, and yeah. not like Adobe Premiere like it is today. No, no, no. Like the first iteration of any editing program. This yeah. is like two thousand. I forgot about First Cut. Yeah, not Final Cut. No, maybe it was called. It was on. It was on your Apple, but your Apple computer. No, no that was Final Cut. Okay, but, but this is but the one we. This is. I started editing on Premiere, which was on the school computer. Okay. Well, anyway, but, it was but, ridiculous but the way have, we had to we do We didn't this. have any of that. Yes. What we had was a Hi8 camcorder plugged into my TV slash VHS, and Kevin would edit this crap by, by having a blank VHS and the VCR <laughs> and the VCR and then running the tape, and, only, and you would edit tape to tape. Yeah. And it was crap because it would always like pre-roll or oh, post-roll yeah, yeah. five oh, seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's horrible. And so, so we ended up, so we became more experimental than <laughs> <Yeah>. it intended. <laughs> these these movies are. Ter- I think, dude, we could, we have a copy of that. I don't know, but we stretched the limits of what was possible. Did you imagine? We had of- a lot of action parts in the movie yes. where we we threw dummies downstairs. Yeah, I mean, tr- I mean, we didn't. Dude, we weren't trying to make it look real. But, but for real, could you imagine? Um, could you imagine if we? Uh, if YouTube had existed, oh, it would have been awesome. So, like, the, all this crap would have ended up on YouTube. Ten yeah, years later, yeah. it's all going on. For YouTube. For better or worse, it would have all ended up on YouTube. Yeah, and it would have been the weirdest shit ever. Like this weird experimental. You probably would have gotten a pretty good following. You probably would have gotten <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe from what audience? Yeah. <laughs> that audience would have been pretty fucked yeah. up. Experimental German language films. And my and, yeah, <laughs> and so and so that is our. So that was like into the summer of 2000, and then you and I decided to in, like get internships in LA that summer. And summer I branched out my own radio show, 100% Pure Pleasure. 100% Pure Pleasure. <laughs> 100% Pure Pleasure. So I had, I, 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 by junior year, I had figured out, I'd reached my creative independence, where I wanted to branch out and see, could I be as cool as John and do all these amazing characters? And also, I wanted to play some music that we didn't really fit into the profile Hungover show. And oh, yeah. oh, by the way, our show is called Hungover. Yes. And so uh, the, the other show, I was wondering what to call it. And you had just come back from Mexico, something, and you bought a bar of soap called 100% Pure Pleasure. Was, really? That was the name of the bar of soap. And you gave it to me because it was funny. And so I named my radio show. 100% pure pleasure. Because who names a bar of soap 100% pure pleasure? Yo, that bar of soap needs to do something extra. That's what's going on there. Like, like that bar of soap. Was that really soap? Was that really meant for cleaning your body? (laughs) Certain the inside of it. Yeah, that's right. 100% pure pleasure. Pure pleasure. That was uh, Claude Bonaire's. Uh, he gave you an advertisement. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He recorded an advertisement. Right? So, speaking of those advertisements on those uh, those eight tracks, we had some good characters on those. We had Shades Malone. <laughs> what? Shades Malone, the Hawaii, the Hawaiian uh, surfer. What's up, bro? Ah, uh, bro, it's not. What is it? Uh, I don't know. Catching the rail, 
flipping the. I forgot, it, dude. I forgot about all those characters. We had the seductress. I'm a seductress. She was like an ancient vampire. Yes. Who was trying to suck your soul. <laughs> yes. But she was beautiful. But she was beautiful. But yeah. she was like Malisandra from yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. But she couldn't quite hold like you know how most uh, vampire seductresses they can hold that, Form? that pure image, but she yeah. couldn't. She kept slipping into the evil one. I'm a seductress. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd get seduced, but then we wouldn't. And like, no. But it was based off and a girl that we went to school with, Jessica Cobb. Jessica Cobb. Okay, I won't say her name. But she, say her name. But she had these n- terrible, like, metal nail extensions. She was a metal head, and she wore these metal like talons. silver we talons. talons. And, and she was one of our DJs. <laughs> so and she was parodied off of her because she'd always wear black lace. Yeah, she was, so she was, she was straight out of a hot topic. And uh, and and it was in in she would try and remember she tried to tear us apart. You're just jealous because she likes me, which is basically the plot of like Batman and Robin, you know. <laughs> and then she tried to be this ancient vampire. Seductress. What was what was wrong? What were some of your other favorite characters? Uh, Mr. Halloween. I Mr. Halloween. Oh, he was themed for Halloween, yes. and he loved Halloween, and he would come in. He was, he was a, a professional wrestler. He's a failed professional he wrestler. He's a failed professional wrestler. Who, every time he'd lose, you know how every professional wrestler has a gag, whether they win or they lose? Yeah. His was, if he lost, you'd smash the pumpkin head, which was his mask. He <laughs> okay. had a pumpkin head mask. So he, <laughs> he lost. Like Jack Skellington. Yeah, but if he won, he'd give you candy, pour candy over you or something. Okay, like so what were some other characters? Uh, we had uh, Kacha, which was... <laughs> Kacha was... <laughs> Was Claude Bonaire's when, Indonesian when, sidekick? Yeah, when Claude went and did a bunch of action movies in Indonesia, Kachaw was like his his, his retainer. But he didn't speak English, so can no. you still do the Kachaw? Yeah, but it's just Neob Nub from like <laughs> Empire Strike from Return of the Jedi. So, so like Claude would be like, "Hey, Kachaw!" Yeah. <laughs> but Claude could—he's like R two D two. Only Claude could understand. Yeah, it. nobody else can speak that <laughs> he language. Wasn't speaking a real language. Yeah, uh, and we, we had, but our storylines got crazy. And remember the storyline where Razorblade went evil. Yes, that was the evil he, blade. He thought we were being racist, and, yes. he, and he created a race war in Philly. Yes. It was like one of our biggest productions. It was amazing. And it there was a nuclear so many... attack, which got... which got. There was a nuclear bomb. Yes. And that we... was going to go off in the, in the Philadelphia Museum of His... Like, the art museum. Where the Rocky statue is. Where the Rocky statue is. So, like... And we had to get to the museum, and supposedly Greasy didn't get to put a bomb in the bottom of it. And there was a race war happening in no, Philly. No, we tunneled in through the sewers, oh, remember? We, we did in, a sewer rat We tunnel. went in through the water? The okay. sewers. But, like, meanwhile, there's, like, there's, Philly is on fire. Yes. And there's, like, a race war. People are, like, we're in the, we're in the, the radio station van. Yeah. There was no radio station van, but we pretended to be in the radio station <laughs> yeah. van. The mobile unit. The mobile unit. The like, mobile we're, unit. we're, like, we are broadcasting live. Oh, my God. And someone, oh, my God, we just ran over a kid. Yeah. Oh, my God, you kid, a kid. So, do you remember how we defused the bomb? Okay. So what happened was the bomb was going to go off, <laughs> yeah. and it's ticking down. We, we we had no idea how to which which which, which wire to cut. Which wire to cut? Yeah. So reggae bomb just ate it and yep. jumped into the river, and it exploded. And it, we ended on a cliffhanger where the where the it, that was like three fucking cliffhangers yeah. in a row. But you I didn't remember, know. I remember for like three straight weeks we had cliffhangers. Yeah. And the cliffhanger for that was reggae bomb jumped into the water into the Schuylkill River. After eating the the nuke, and yes, he it swallowed explo- the nuke because of his lead lined stomach. He had lead line, he had, right? Yeah, he had this magic meteorite stomach. stomach. The meteorite stomach, and he jumped in and it exploded, and we were saved, but he was lost. Yes, and then a three eyed fish popped up on the riverbank because <laughs> yeah. the pollution from right. the bomb. Right. And bloop, that fish just scooted through eye. And I remember we thought that he died. Yes. It's very much like a Simpsons episode when that fi- I imagine a Simpsons three eyed fish pop up. But out he. Of the river. Um, 
but it didn't turn out that he was dead. Yeah, he was, which is a shocker for because he was such a mainstay. And but, he he was dead. But then he came back in ghost form. He, well, he came back as a, wait, ghost form or incredible. Oh. I thought he came back as like an incredible Hulk type character, where like he would like now that he was nuclear radiated, he would turn into something when he got angry or hungry. I think we got tired of Reggae Bone. We killed him, and then he came back in a ghost form. We tried another variation. It didn't work again. Ghost Reggae. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this, it was a very short-lived ghost. <laughs> we had, so what happened was we had all these audio cues that we knew would end or start the skit. So there's always like a music intro. Yeah. And there was like a sound effect exfil that we knew, like wrap it up. Because we had no way to cue each other otherwise. It wasn't okay. like we had a, a yeah. script to follow. We, we couldn't talk to each other. So we were in the middle of the sketch. We'd always leave it upon whoever the voice is, whoever's speaking, and they don't feel like it's funny anymore. They want to cut it early. They had the, they had the, the option to kind of opt out. They would just choose that, play yeah. that sound effect, and you know, okay, over. cutting to the song. So I remember the we reggae bump. Dude, we went to Indian like fought tigers. Yes, we had a good episode going to Arizona to, to find the fabled Thunderbird. Really? Yeah, but we canceled it. It was my. It was we got lazy. Uh, so, so with reggae bum we went to this uh we funneled some mystic to get us to the dreamland where he was like the, he was in the middle world he was stuck between heaven and hell and <laughs> it was like yeah it was like an ether that he was stuck in are you fucking yeah, kidding no, that's, that's for real dude we used to be so creative yeah we're really good at this right and so he uh he, we went there and uh he appeared magically and gave us some sage wisdom he had now turned into this like yogi right yes. so he's like uh, it's, it's like, and you're like, you know what? I'm no longer hungry. Because he was now in this... I do remember yeah, that. He was in this, in this middle land, right? Yeah. He's like, I love it here, but I need to get to the beaches. This is so far away. So it wasn't... Because oh, he's still right here. It wasn't going very well. And then I was, I was into it. And I was about to ask him a question. And then I heard the... And you're like, I'm fading away. Goodbye. <laughs> and we went to the song. And I was like, what was that, man? Like, why did we just cut out of that? He's like, I hate reggae bum. He's never coming back. <laughs> I hate him. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> he never came yeah, back. Yeah, he never came back. Aww. Yeah, yeah. Just, That's sad. because He's he, still stuck in the middle world somewhere. No, he went away. In the ether. Um, wow. Okay. Thanks, guys. You solved the problem. I'm going, hey, see heaven. Goodbye. The other thing that happened senior year was we came back from California and I had written a script for Spores. Yes. Yes. And Spores was like a 75-minute film. Unbelievable. Which, which Kevin and I... We shot a 75-minute yeah. feature. It's longer than Dumbo, dude. We shot a 75-minute movie oh my God. in which Kevin and I played ourselves. And we're so unpopular that we don't go outside. We don't have any friends. In a meteorite, like in Night of the Comet, which was like a huge influence for me. I love Night of the Comet. A meteorite had passed through Earth's atmosphere or an asteroid or something. The dust from this thing, it was turning people into zombies. Yeah, golden dust, man. Don't yeah. discount that. And, but Kevin and I weren't affected because we were in playing video games all day. And we were just reading comics and playing video games. So while everybody else turned into zombies, we were just kind of ourselves. It was very Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Like when Shaun of the Dead, I remember being butthurt when Shaun of the Dead came out like four or five years later. And be like, hey, that was like, oh, no, dude, Jonathan. Good ideas are good ideas, but... Obviously, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg did a much better job of theirs than we did of ours. But at the end of the day, we made a 75-minute movie senior year. And that was, like, really our focus senior year. So the radio show started to kind of be less of a priority. Yeah. yeah. And making a movie was our priority. And then that's what led me to film school. Was and like, it was I challenging. Loved. That was difficult. Those were some long hours that all of us pulled. Do we? But especially you. And I had to fight my... Like, I had a doppelganger in one scene. Yes. So, Andrew Sampson played my doppelganger because I fight myself. That's right. Dude, 75-minute 
feature. We had film. some pretty cool. So we we modeled a lot of our effects after kung fu effects because at that time, uh, Dan Trachtenberg and I were really big into like seventies kung fu. I think flicks. we were all watching that shit. We were yeah. all watching uh, the. What are we watching? Uh, the Sunny Chiba stuff. We were yes, watching. Like, yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. So we, we were really big into that, and we tried to integrate it into the film. And we did a pretty good job for not having any idea on how to execute we're it. We were using ketchup for everything. Yes. And like, you know, I remember like when I put a pencil in somebody's head, it was just the Dawn of the Dead gag where you make a fake, you make half a pencil, yeah, and then yeah. you color a piece of paper in like tube, and you hold the, the solid part uh, on your like your fist and then you the 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 paperish part that looks like the uh, like sharp edge of the pencil in a cut you uh you mask it going into somebody's head and it just crumbles and you 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 know because you're you're stabbing him in the head right up to the hilt and i remember like the the pencil going in my doppelganger's ear there were some good jokes in that movie yes but the funniest joke was on us when the police caught us filming without a permit and we climbed over the cemetery gates we had actually climbed into a cemetery over these iron rock gates. Dude, I think that that was when we were filming down by the dorm. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. And they, the, the police showed up and were like, what are you guys doing? And we needed everyone to hold a camera. On the, yeah. Dude, everyone did everything on this movie because yeah. you and I were the only ones who would show up every time because that's why we wrote it. But sometimes... You know, this person would be holding the camera, or Dan would be holding the camera, or my roommate Mark would be holding the camera, or this actor would, after their scene, would be holding the camera. <coughs> Same thing with sound. Like, everybody was doing everything. And I just remember that one night Mark was shooting, my roommate Mark was shooting, and the shot is on us, and we just see this police, uh, this police light be like, hey, what are you guys doing? And behind the camera, you can just hear Mark go, we don't have a permit. <laughs> So the first thing he said. Keep in mind, his parents are lawyers. So the first thing that he thinks about is legal compliance. (laughs) I'm going to go to jail. We're like like thinking about what we're going to say. And he sells us out like right out of the, like right off the bat, he sells us out. We couldn't even play dumb. He just goes, we don't have a permit. Immediately. What are you guys doing over there? We don't have a permit. (laughs) It's the middle of the night. Well, I guess he probably, the cops were like, well, okay, there's no wrongdoing going on here because nobody would admit. Something yeah. I've never even this, asked. This kid is clearly <laughs> yeah. a good kid. Hey, uh, do I need to sniff your pants for poop right now, kid? Like, are you? Did he crap himself so hard? <laughs> yeah. We don't have a permit. Yeah. That was funny, dude. Uh, yeah, and I remember that was fun. I, I think like Matt Kelly, if you're you know something like Matt Kelly who does our horror movie night podcast, like he was he would love this these spores. And maybe it'll just happen, Matt, this Comic-Con. Maybe we have a little bit of a spore screening. <sighs> Man, well, I, I would love to see that. I, I have it digi- scared Dude, I have it. it digitized. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm, I'm It's terrified. sitting on a hard drive somewhere. Terrified. All I got to do is upload it. Oh, my goodness. All I got to do is hit it's that It's probably way better in my memory. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Having, having seen yeah. it about 10 years ago, it absolutely yeah. is. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Um, so, like, I, like, like, we graduated. And that was like that. I remember like oh, we, we premiered sports. We, we, Don't we forget pre- about we that. We premiered sports once. Yeah, and we dressed up as and we, Golden Comet and, we, and Fantasma Blanco to spray the the crowd with candy. Yeah, and, the, and dude, we had a kind of a small theater for like, it was like the science lab theater, like mm. or it was one of the English Seemed lab theaters. Huge to me. And no, there were a lot of people in it, but yeah. it was for it was a lecture lab. Yeah. It wasn't a movie. Yeah, lab. yeah it yeah, was yeah. a lecture lab. 
and a lot of people came, and um, and Jeff Hatch. Remember we dubbed his line because his yes. audio, dude. He had like his air, line. You mean his entire performance? Dude, his whole performance was in a room <laughs> that had that had like an air, like it was in your apartment, like your your fridge or your or like air conditioner or something was so loud. We had to dub all the lines, and we went to the radio station to dub the lines, which is easy for you and I. But he would never, he never, like we had to finish the damn movie, and yeah. he never responded to a time when he could come and dub his lines. John, you've, so, you're misremembering this. No, I dubbed the lines for him, or you're, you dubbed the lines. You're what misremembering happened? this. We took a listen to Jeff's voice, and we're like, this doesn't fit the profile. Oh, really? Yes, it was because it. Jeff's a huge, so Jeff actually played in the NFL for six years, five years. Yeah, Jeff went on the, to play in the NFL with the Giants. And if you watch the Hero of the Prophet, guy. if you watch the Hero of the Prophet, he's Sizzle. He's one of the soldiers that Paul runs into. Oh, is he? Yeah, I, I use Jeff again. Jeff lives in Venice. He's one of the biggest guys I've ever met. But in also my one life. of the sweetest guys. Yes, very nice guy. And uh, he volunteered to help us with this project. Uh, he's like 6'8". His voice does not match his body. It's no. almost like Mike Tyson. Dude looks like a monster. Is a teddy bear. Yes. So when he spoke, it wasn't the image we wanted to portray. So I was like. John, this isn't funny, man. This is the lines are not coming across the right way. <laughs> so we, so we, we we made the 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 pro- production switch yeah, to make the, it razor we the, blade. We made the executive to make decision it razor blade. to have like him talking like a razor blade. Yes, and so what he did is he brought all his team, the whole he football brought, team, yeah. to the premiere front row in the big. And he's like, guys, this is gonna be so hilarious, and I'm in the movie, and I'm in a big role, and little, and then they start laughing at him because <laughs> <laughs> it's an demo. obvious demo, Dude, which was the intent. We wanted yeah. it to be funny. We wanted people to right? laugh, but unfortunately, Jeff was humiliated and very. It's like a fall. He's a football Dude. star, and he's getting going to the NFL, and he got dubbed with a cheesy like uh, wrestler's voice and, and I remember afterwards being like hey Jeff what do you think because his friends were dying yes, yes. And like and he's like you guys dubbed me and he was so <laughs> upset I'm so sorry Jeff. I know I actually didn't talk to him after that because I thought he'd punch me dude uh, Jeff is a sweetheart um, he, yeah and so that's what happened there uh, I just remember that first screening was like an lecture lab and then what happened was everybody loved the movie so much we went on to play it in a much bigger theater it was awesome that's right that was cool right. so um, at that point like all of our classes were kind of going by the wayside the radio was kind of going by the wayside uh, I had gotten into school so I knew I was going to go to grad school what, uh, what was going through your head because I, I just remember like, having this dream Kevin that I was like this is what's going to happen Kevin and I are just going to do the radio show for Ever in, vo- in various mediums because, like, being a fan of like South Park, you know, having like that whole mystique of like Trey and Matt, or like these duos who are creative duos and can finish each other's sentences and like just make up stuff so creatively. Like, I remember when I got to film school that following year, I had a huge, I had a lot of trouble doing anything because I felt like I was missing a limb. Like, creatively, mm. I felt like I was missing a limb. In my film school stuff sucked. Hmm. It was not fun. It wasn't funny. It was nothing like sport. It was nothing like the radio show. It was like this voice that I had worked on for four years was gone, and I was like, I just felt fucking lost and angry. And it wasn't until like a, like Gay by Dawn or something that I was like, okay, like, like Kevin was your magic feather. So I think what had happened was uh, I I had the job in um, Taiwan recording, oh, so recording. in a recording studio in LA. In, in Sunset Boulevard, and I got fired from it for talking to Green Day. That, and that was, was the that whole summer story. of 2000. Yes, and that really 
I, I wanted to be a studio engineer until then. That really put a bad taste in my mouth on the types of people that you work with in that industry. Because yeah. uh, I ran into some of the bigger names out there. The artists, not a problem, but the people surrounding the artists were very, very offensive to me. And I didn't want to work with those types of people. But I still wanted to do something in entertainment. So I moved out to Taiwan. I had taken Chinese my last couple of years in, in, yeah, I remember that um, in school. And I, I was like, you know what? Let me just try this on a, on a whim. Got a TV show out there. Had a, a bunch yeah. of adventures. Had Dude, a band out there. He hosted had a, a TV CD show out in there. Taiwan. Yes, and I, and I was doing pretty well. And nine eleven happened while I was there, and I was under contract. And I felt like that was a oh, wait, wait, huge event for me. Okay, so wait, we right got, after we, we graduated, wait, we graduated in May of two thousand one. Yes. And I remember moving to New York, and I was in New York for a week before my nine eleven happened in September. Yes. In that, in those three four months. You'd landed the TV show and all that shit? Had already no, 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 no. I had just started my... I, had, I was under contract Oh, to, as a teacher. Yes, as a teacher, to yeah. a teacher. It was Teach, a one-year contract. You were teaching English, yeah. And that was like a major event for me because uh, I think a lot of guys in my generation feel this way who joined the Army, is that, especially being distant from America, I felt very helpless. Like, okay. something's going on in my country, and I feel like I need to contribute to that, but I'm not there for that. And it felt very selfish of me to continue in Taiwan. And then, little by little, some of the opportunities I had petered away. And I just said to myself, you know what? Uh, Iraq was kicking off in 2003. This is it. You know what? Afghanistan, I don't know what's going on there. But Iraq, somehow my country needs me. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to go back. I'm going to do this for a couple of years, do my, do my service, and say that I did it. And then just look, at, look back at that time in my life with pride. So I signed up for a two-year contract, which they don't even exist anymore. Now they're all four-year contracts. But oh, then really? they just needed bodies. They needed people. Right. So a two-year enlisted contract, which was just kind of like a, a, a whim, really. Right. And then I had a very rough first tour of duty where a lot of guys uh, got injured or killed. And it really made a mark on me where I needed somehow to process that by continuing to pursue it. Whoa. So I went into special forces. I kept, because now I didn't want to be that infantry guy at a base level training. Like I wanted to really. Did you feel like those people were more vulnerable or what? So to me, it was always, if I can save an American life, I, I will. I, right. That's what I want to be there for. Right. This political part of it, I didn't care about. Sure. The, the experience of it after the first couple, after the first tour, I didn't care about. It was all about, can I protect an American life? Because I felt very, uh, very, very hard for me to watch guys die and not have a, a way to save them. Sure. So I think that scarred me in a lot of ways. And it was 10 years after that, 10 years of working through that and getting to the top of the military in a lot of different special forces units and then finally seeing it from the strategic level again and then seeing, oh my, after I got to that level, I realized that this is stupid. Like actually, even though there's still Americans in harm's way, yeah. nobody knows what the hell they're doing. The leaders don't know, the, the generals don't know, the, the politicians certainly don't know. So why am I even over here? And then you start looking in retrospect now, forget the Americans. Did I really help the Iraqi people? N no, clearly I didn't. So you start having all these very introspective thoughts, and then I, I decided I can't do this anymore. Uh, I was 12 years in, eight more years I could have retired. I could have had a nice paycheck, lived in Northern Virginia, contracted for 200 grand a year, like had a great, very right, nice right. life. But I just didn't want to be part of that anymore. So I got out, and then the last two, two and a half years had been rediscovering who I was when I left QHS, when I left Penn. I really feel that way. Wait, that wait, the last wait, 12 to 14 years I'm have trying been... To I'm trying to figure out what you're saying. Uh, so you had that 12 to 14 year period where like 9-11 literally shook you. Yes, yeah. Into thinking, 
like this is my purpose there was the helplessness of not being here and what you're saying now is because you have this new gig in uh, in the Philippines and it has allowed you the freedom to be like okay now I'm just working and uh, and you know, I'm in the Philippines and I'm working you're saying that you've that like the military Kevin you're like stripping that back to where you were when you graduated? Yeah, I think that military Kevin will always affect who I am. Sure, of course. Right? And to, in a positive yeah. sense. Yeah, of in course. Ma- many ways, a positive sense. It yeah, I'm not harder, saying otherwise. Harder, harder worker, more serious, more analytical. Um, I, I look at life very deeply now in a lot of different ways. But the aggression and the kind of uh, vengeance yeah. and the, the, the negative aspects of it that color your perspective so deeply... Uh, as a, as a I've been stripping mechanism? away. Yeah, yeah, it is because, and also you're isolated, right? Your sure. only friends are military friends. Your only uh, wives that you talk to are military wives. The only people you talk to are in the military. So you have a very distorted perspective of reality. Like you're in the you're in the top five percent of the military. So even in that perspective, you have a very different sense. Right. So I think it's it's unhealthy. I really think it's unhealthy. Like okay. when you isolate yourself. In, in any in any way, in any cult that you, you lose a context. Yes. Uh, so many, many ways, the military was a positive experience for me, and I never changed what I did. I think I'm very proud of that career. Right. But it, uh, I certainly do think I now have to figure out who Kevin is outside of that. Sure. Because it's like a, it's like a, it's like anything. You start saying you you build a paradigm for yourself. I am this person, and now you're no longer that person. Who are you? So. I remember back in college, I never really had a paradigm. I just enjoyed to do what I liked to do. Right. I liked music. I liked comedy. I liked radio. I liked technical, you know, engineering type uh, software. Uh, so that's kind of my re-exploration. And that's where I've been focusing my efforts outside of work. So basically, when you go back to Phoenix, you're just going to go through all these Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to put them on now. Oh, my God. I, if I could just number them for you, it would... Don't, I don't care. Uh, I, think if, I think if we were to digitize them... We could figure it out. Yeah. Oh my God! It's an we'll intense just, amount. Do you still of have the jazz drive that we can load them onto. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Geek so, so we were you want, talking you want about to talk tech. tech. Yeah. yeah, talking about tech. My God. This is before burning. Really, at the beginning of burning the CDs. Yes. This is when you still burn CDs, and they had covers that you could write stuff on, and designs that you could put on, and stickers, and yeah, like it was. And now you can stupid. burn Blu-rays, you can burn yeah. DVDs, whatever. But the CDs were the biggest thing you could burn to. But whenever we'd record a band in the studio. Kevin had to, the only thing that was digital that had the space capable of, of holding all the content from the recording sessions so we could burn them to CD and then play them on the air was a jazz drive. Which, if you think about it, it's just a hard drive with no USB port. They had right. not invented but USB big, ports yet. But a jazz drive was like, how big was a jazz drive? It's about the space size wise? of a regular hard drive, but thicker. But like, how, what is that in megs? Because I don't. Oh, think, oh, I don't oh think, gosh. There's no maybe way. like a hundred megs. It was maybe. like a hundred megs, yeah. right? And the drive itself cost like a hundred dollars. Yeah, it was ridiculous. If you had one, you were a rock star, dude. Somehow you, you were a professional. You bought one so we could record our yeah, st- sessions and record and save I felt it so CD. cool that I had my jazz drive, dude. And that jazz drive was a hundred bucks, and it was only a hundred megs. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. You get like multiple terabytes for sixty dollars now. Well, look about. I mean, you're talking about editing software, right? Think about what you could do that on, was your, in 2001, on your, on your iPhone, man. Just yeah. edit. You could you could make like these kids out there today who are making YouTube millions. Yeah, you have it easy, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, have yeah, it easy. Yeah. 
Golly. Yeah, that Jazz Drive stuff was insane. I can't believe we made a 75-minute movie senior year. It has not been repeated by us. I think it was time to do it. So I think it is. I think there is a, a synergy happening here. I think we need to get the Geekscape, Geekscape crowd behind us. Wait, wait. Let's you, crowdsource wait, this. You, am I hearing what I'm hearing? You're saying that right now on this program, which three of us are still listening to. Yeah. Hey, sure. Matt Kelly, I know you're one of them. <laughs> uh, you're saying that, um, that you, you want in? We need to Yo, bring... hey, hey. You want in? Hell yeah. We. <laughs> we. we. Uh, yeah, you want to figure... Because... <laughs> Geekscape is very much the continuation of that. It was like my little house where I could be like, okay, um, these weird voices in my head that I'm refinding, like this is where they will live. You know what I mean? Like, like, like the characters belong. I think they'd be all these characters, 200 plus, like belong in Geekscape. Like they've like it's always been the same thing to me. Like it, like like if they were to make a movie and one like if they were ever to make a movie. There would be a Geekscape, like it would be in tonally appropriate to have a Geekscape on For sure, because at the end of the day, they're cartoon characters. I think if you take them too seriously, you lose the whole point, which is why anytime anybody did anything serious, we blow it up with something ridiculous. Dude, those two kids in the the TV studio, (laughs) all they wanted was their tape so they could go on and host the, the local morning news. And here we are hitting them in the heads with phone books and throwing glitter on their faces. <laughs> yes, right. Dude, they hated us. Yes. They hated us. Well, guess and what? it was awesome. Yeah, that was amazing. If you don't have enemies, you're not doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they don't hate you too badly. But. All right. Well, Geekscape is, this has definitely been a Geekscape origin episode. One of, maybe the one that's most influential was these four years doing college radio with Kevin. And, uh, and I kind of like what you're saying here. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I like Razorblade so much I just try to steal it every time I can. It's fine. It's fine. You know, you were, you were there at the beginning. I was there. You were there at his birth. I witnessed it. it. I helped evolve him. Yours as anybody's. Um, so uh, there's always a home for you here. You're a part of this now. And whatever, you know, you're going to go back to the Philippines. That's right. Keep working. That's right. Keep you making. Got to pay this, those bills. Got to pay those bills. And... Doors here are open. You know what? I would love to have my collaborated partner. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never felt creatively partnered on an equal level with anybody since. Yeah, and that's the truth. For, dude, the truth is that for yeah. like the last six, 17, 18 years, I've been like, no, this like it should like Kevin should have been here this whole time. The Thunderbird episode is still not been written. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Visit Hank's Dude Ranch and go chase Thunderbirds. For that was what it was. We were going to yeah. go to the American Southwest and we were going to discover <laughs> this this like basically this legendary Pokemon bird. That's right. <laughs> hey, man! Ancient aliens truly believe that the Thunderbirds or ancient alien conspiracies they the Thunder Thunderbirds were aliens. So well, it's back. It's back. It's I relevant. See, I, again. I can see how Kirsten and Hank would tie in with that. It's relevant. Um, wow. Okay. Well, let's see what we can do. Um, let's get dinner with Mark Brunswick first. See if he can get a, have a permit yet. See if he gets, <laughs> has his permit yet. Which is really funny. We're about to go to dinner with Mark Brunswick. who was like, I don't have a permit. Um, okay. Okay, Geekscapists. That has been an origin episode. It explains so much, I believe. And now the few of you who are still listening are going to be like, we demand that you start doing characters on Geekscape again. Yeah. Because Geekscape does not exist without those four years of college radio. Absolutely not. 100% does not exist. It's amazing what you've done, by the way, with Thank Geekscape. You. So to all those who are listening, if you've still 
uh, got got this thing you know, on. We're getting close to two hours. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you for supporting this man. Thank you for keeping this alive yep. so that Kevin can return to That's the right. family. Uh, we. You were radio bomb. Hey, guys. Turned out I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> hey, guys. Now I'm radioactive. <laughs> Okay, I gotta start taking voice lessons, it turns out. Uh, love you, Geekscapists. Continue to listen. We'll be back in the Westwood One studios this week. I hope you enjoyed this surprise episode.